we are in a sordid time of world history right now, and we know biblically that there, an antichrist is going to come on the scene uh, before other cataclysmic and apocalyptic events happen. It's all going to coincide. And anybody with any reasonable observation would say we've got to be close to this cat coming out. For sure. So what has your audience said to you? What have you seen in terms of the turtle and the work? Well, I think tell you what we have done, though. I don't know if you've seen the website. We have a poll on our site that asks people mm-hmm. who they already think the web, or who the Antichrist is. Let me just go ahead and, and shout that out to you, Tim. Right now, uh-huh. I mean, the choices of who is the Antichrist is AI quantum computer, King Charles III, nobody knows, Prince William, Jared Kushner, Barack Obama, or the Pope. And the results right now, I'll tell you who's in the lead of that poll. Uh, the po- it looks like the Pope is number one, who people think it is. And Barack Hussein is number two, and Prince William's coming online too. He, we, we've actually had guests on the program saying that he's the one. Uh, so we we get it a lot. I mean, my my thing of it is that the, the Antichrist, you know, now this this might strike you as weird, but I think it says something about uh, at least some entities is not going to have regard for women, and so that puts me in Barack Obama's category. <laughs> I I don't know. Okay. So uh, I hate to tell you this, but all of the above get a hard fail. Oh, dang on. (laughs) Well, hey, I'll tell you what, though. I don't know if you're actually going to say it, but I could have put – what we like to do with those polls is to see what people think, and then as the guest makes their presentation, we see if those poll numbers actually change. And sometimes they do. The guest is so persuasive that those numbers change. uh, And other people – All right, well – Everybody who watches this interview, and I assume you've made it so I can share my screen, so I can share images and that kind of thing? Should be able to. Okay. So everybody who watches this, by the time they're done, so long as they're paying attention, well, no, it's none of the above. Okay. We'll know who it actually is Okay. with hard evidence. Okay. Well, Tim, what what got you into research, and why did you want to find that out? I didn't. In 1987, after I'd read through the New Testament, you know, two or three times, and through the book of Revelation at least that many times, probably more, and a good portion of the Old Testament, I became a, believe, a uh, Christian in November of 1986. Hmm. So in uh, 1987, I asked God to show me who and what was being spoken of in Revelation 13, that word imagery with the beast with feet like a bear, body like a leopard, mouth like a lion. I'll go to the passage and share the scripture here okay. in a moment so people can see exactly what I'm talking about. But God answered the prayer. Wow. And within a month of that point, I had the actual imagery in my possession, the name calculation in my possession, and I knew who the Antichrist was. Mm. So I've known since 1987. Well, uh, we've had uh, we've had a guest on the program, Dr. Joy Pugh, and uh, she kind of lent uh, lent toward Prince William. But now we've we've got Charles on the scene. It's almost it's, it's kind of like the mark of the beast. It sort of went from the uh, a chip in the wrist uh, to now a chip in the brain to now no chip at all. I mean, it, it seems to be evolving the mark of the beast with our technology. I'm thinking, well, how can it be evolving if it was always the same? Yeah, it isn't. So, and I'll explain that too if we have time. I have a separate book coming titled The Mark of the Beast mm-hmm. that should be out hopefully later this year. It's It's got a lot in it or that most people have seen in any book on that topic. All right, so Revelation chapter 13. All right. 
Now, this is the passage that I asked God to show me, you know, who and what was being spoken of. Mm-hmm. Uh, beginning basically here. Now, the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear. His mouth like the mouth of a lion. And it tells us the dragon gave him his power, throne, and great authority right here. You can see this, right? Yes. Okay. So in the prior chapter, Revelation chapter 12, Mm -hmm. that dragon is identified as Satan and as a fiery red dragon. So if we do right here. Okay. Great fiery red dragon. And then after that tells us that this dragon is also known as the devil and Satan. Hmm. So in other words, it's a fiery red dragon representing Satan that gives this beast his power, throne, and great authority. Now, there are two beasts in this chapter. The first one rises out of the sea, and this is geographically relative to where Israel exists. So you could say off the coast of Israel, for example, or somewhere out there in the sea. And then the second beast rises out of the earth. Hmm. Typically, Christians understand the first one to be the Antichrist, you know, mm-hmm. the top dog Antichrist, if you will, of history. The one who will be over global government for three and a half years or the period of the Great Tribulation, the latter half of Daniel's 70th period of seven years in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. And then they understand this second beast, the one from the earth, to be the false prophet. And that's a correct understanding. And then when we get down to verse 18 of Revelation 13, it's speaking in context of the first beast, the one out of the sea. Mm -hmm. And it says, here is wisdom, let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, or does the number of a man, and his number is 666. So I began by asking God to show me who and what was being spoken of in terms of that strange beast, mm-hmm. right? Right. And uh, then, of course, to try to understand the calculation once once uh, you know he would show me that. So the first point is that only one human being in the whole history of the world has ever had this imagery. Charles' own sons do not have it. So Joyce Pugh, for example, is in great error. And or anyone else for that matter, asserting that William might be the Antichrist. And I'll, I'll draw attention to why that is now. So this right here, what you're looking at, mm-hmm. is the official heraldic achievement or coat of arms of Charles as Prince of Wales, granted to him officially in July of 1969. That's when the world first saw it. It was on the orders of service and uh, uh, various memorabilia like plates and saucers sold it as investiture, which was at the time the most widely viewed event in the history of the world. An estimated television audience of 500 million plus, half a billion people, July 1969. Rivaled only by our landing on the moon in the same month. So, on this we have a beast with feet like a bear, body like a leopard, mouth like a lion. And the scripture says like, like, like. So we're talking about similes. In other words, not identical to the body of a leopard, not identical to the feet of a bear, necessarily not identical to the mouth of a lion necessarily, but a beast that has proportions that remind us of that. Now, in heraldry, a bear has four or five claws. A lion normally only has three. Mm -hmm. This one actually has five. And what you're looking at is an artistic rendition of Charles' heraldic achievement. There were two graven versions that looked like cast iron that were quite large, uh, where the devices were separated, but this whole combination of devices, if you will, uh, shown over two of the entrances to Caernarvon Castle at the time of the investiture. Uh, one at the Queen's Gate, the other one at the Eagle Gate. And on both of those, this lion, leopard, bear beast actually did have five bear's claws, identical to the claws of bears, all five. And you could see it very plainly on the graven versions. Mm-hmm. 
and I'll come to these other uh, symbols a bit later, but you'll notice there's the red dragon on this, right? Mm-hmm. That is the red dragon uh, that is spoken of in the book of Revelation, literally. It actually traces back historically to the standards of the Roman cohorts, cohorts that occupied ancient, um, what became ancient Wales, and then from there to ancient Judea, those that occupied ancient Judea uh, in Israel. So this particular dragon was adopted in 1953 as the national, excuse me, 19, yeah, that's right, 1953 is the national symbol of Wales. Mm-hmm. So the nation of Wales literally chose Satan as its national symbol. Wow. And it is their symbol today. And then in 1958, Elizabeth II, who was queen at that point, told the Welsh people that she was creating Charles, Prince of Wales at that time, and that in the future she would present him to the people of Wales for a formal investiture or crowning. Mm -hmm. So 11 years later, in July of 1969, he was formally invested as Prince of Wales. So with those things being pointed out, people who might look at William, for example, and by the way, the exact same thing is true of Harry, like Joyce Pugh, they've looked at this thing right here right. on the royal shield, and they've called that a red dragon, which is false. That is the red lion of Scotland in heraldry. It's a lion. It's not a dragon right here. The thing I'm circling? Yeah. So on the royal shield, that is a lion. It is not a dragon. Only Charles has the dragon on his heraldic achievement. So William and Harry do not have the red dragon. They also do not have 10 lion leopard bears in the center, which is significant. They have six lion leopards only. They do not have this beast with feet like a bear, body like a leopard, mouth like a lion. They have a normal lion for England or a lion leopard, which is fairly typical also in British heraldry. And by the way, this couldn't intentionally be created to represent that imagery in scripture because it's produced under international laws uh, by heralds. So the British monarchy didn't have anything to do with it. They take some of the symbols of each of the parents, in this case, Queen Elizabeth II and then Prince Philip at the time, combine them and then make, you know, and then add unique symbols for the individuals like this red dragon for Charles as Prince of Wales after it was adopted as the national symbol of Wales. So this was originally shown in terms of heraldry among the Tudors, but it had been several centuries since this was seen on any royal coat of arms. And nobody ever had this combination before. Now, there's another thing that I'll come back to later, but I'll point it out right here. Mm-hmm. This unicorn has human eyes. It's a man's eyes in this mm-hmm. case, and I'll mm-hmm. say that. But it's human eyes, so it's a little horn of the eyes of man, meaning matching that imagery in Daniel chapter 7 for the same individual who's to be over a global government for three and a half years. So part of this heraldic achievement is described in Revelation, meaning this beast, what's called the Dexter beast, the lion, leopard, bear beast, and the red dragon. The other part, the little horn of the eyes of man, is described in Daniel chapter 7. Both the same Antichrist, two different sets of imagery, both coming together on this one heraldic achievement. Again, only Charles has ever had that. And there are several other things. Uh, If we get to it, I'll mention it, but I'll point one thing out here before we go back to Scripture. This coat of arms is read from top to bottom and left to right, as we think of left to right when we're looking at it, Mm -hmm. much like a book. And that's intentional. It tells a story in a um, in an occult fashion, like a book. And the overall heraldic achievement has its own head. That's this helm right here at the top center. It's viewed as a corporate beast in an occult sense in heraldry, as if it were a living thing, literally. And so this beast right here is actually viewed as the right-hand side, not the left-hand side 
among the heralds. And this unicorn of human eyes is viewed as the left-hand side rather than the right-hand side because the beast where this corporate head is is mm -hmm. looking at you mm -hmm. rather than the other way around from the herald's perspective. All right. Okay? Mm -hmm. So the point being... When you read this at the bottom, it says, I, and this is the badge of the Black Prince, I, the Black Prince, serve Satan. So this badge is the badge of the Black Prince is the founding Prince of Wales of the Order of the Garter, which is the oldest and most prominent order of chivalry in the world, founded in 1348 by the, the uh, British monarch of the day and the Prince of Wales of the day. And... This is the garter around the royal shield here of the Order of the Garter. It says, shame be to him who thinks evil of it, or ill be to him who thinks evil of it. I point that out because right here in the center between the words Ick and Dien is the shield of the Black Prince. Now, he was called the Black Prince not because he was black, but because he dressed in black and was supposedly a feared military commander throughout Europe. So regardless of how you read this, it says, I, the Black Prince, serve Satan, or I, the Black Prince, serve Satan. Wow. Now, this badge of the Black Prince is the signet. It's the seal on the signet ring that Charles wears on his pinky finger on his left hand, which he has worn for decades. He's never been photographed without wearing it since before he married Diana. Even at his coronation recently as king on May 6th, he was wearing that ring the whole time. The reason that's significant also is because these three ostrich feathers in the center of this badge right here, mm -hmm. you see these three feathers, mm -hmm. are shaped like the Hebrew letter Vav. Vav, Vav, Vav. Now, Vav is the sixth character or hieroglyph in the Hebrew language, and numerically it's a six, so it's six, six, six. Mm. Okay? Now, that is not the name calculation, but I point that out because Charles was wearing that when he was crowned king. Okay. Now, coming back to Scripture here, Charles, for the first time in history, there's somebody who, for the first time in all history, actually has the imagery. There's not another human being in the history of the world, including a live day, who has it. And I'll come back to another reason that's significant later. But what it means is we can go to this verse now and attempt the calculations. So there's a very important initial point to make. Scripture tells us that it's the number of the beast before it tells us it's the number of a man. So, mm. Daniel, if the beast, that imagery, is not present for the man in question or the human being in question, mm -hmm. we cannot legitimately even try to do the calculation. No matter how the calculation would work out, it would be irrelevant. Mm. In other words, the required context for doing the calculation in the first place is the imagery of that first beast. It has to be present in some fashion literally. Mm -hmm. Okay? So for the first time in history, we can attempt to do the calculation. And again, his sons, William and Harry, don't have it. They're not qualified even for consideration. Now, the second point I want to make is the system for doing the calculation, the number 666 itself, the system is actually specified in the underlying Greek text from which the English is translated. Just about everyone who's ever tried to do the calculation has A, ignored the presence of the imagery like it didn't matter, and B, has invented or contrived a numbering system, not even realizing that there's an actual specified biblical system for the calculation in the Greek text. And C, tampered with a name. You know, so they've, in, in many cases, they've made up a name that doesn't actually exist. 
you know, by doing subtle, subtle tampering. So an example of B and C, those who are looking at the Roman Catholic Church and trying to say that the Pope is the Antichrist, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. And using some Latin phrase and then trying to calculate the, the value of the phrase, you know, which they're claiming is on the Pope's mitre, calculate the value of the phrase using Roman numerals and showing it's 666. The first thing is that it's not actually a title used by the popes. It's only rarely been used in history, and it is not on their mitres. It's only rarely been on a mitre historically. So that's actually a lie that they're telling. The second thing is they've actually tampered with the spelling of Felix D, and I don't know how it's pronounced in Latin, but they've tampered with it to substitute a V for a U in order to try to force it to be 666 on their contrived numbering system. That's not valid. They've actually tampered with the spelling of the title that they're alleging calculates the 666. And the other thing they've done is they've used a contrived system based on Roman numerals that is not the biblical numbering system. So in all cases, they're failing biblically, and it's invalid what they're doing. It's actually based on lies. So it's a lie to say that the Pope is the Antichrist based on some name calculation like that. And that's commonly taught among Seventh-day Adventists, particularly the ardent ones who are basically like cultists in that manner, you know, who also assert that not observing the seventh day is the biblical Sabbath. In other words, worshiping on Sunday, they'll call that the mark of the beast, which is the furthest thing from what Scripture says about the mark of the beast, right? Right. They compile lie upon lie to try to say that the Vatican or the Roman Catholic Church or the Pope is the Antichrist. And I want to be clear that it's not the same thing as saying that the spirit of Antichrist is operative in the Roman Catholic Church or saying that the Roman Catholic Church is a cult, even. It's not the same thing as saying that. But to assert that the Pope is the Antichrist based on those kinds of things is, ba is simply just telling lies. That's what it is. And it's deceiving the audience. So, coming back to this, let's look at the actual numbering system okay. in the Greek text. And that is shown in my book. So, and, and I often go the wrong direction here. So if I do that, forgive me. Oh, good. Went the right direction. So this is a page from the first edition of the Antichrist and the Capite published in 1998. There's much more in the second edition on this, but this is the name calculation that I offered in two different languages, Hebrew and English. Mm -hmm. So this is the Greek system right here that you're seeing on the right-hand column. All right. Okay. This is the original system specified in the Greek text, and it's sequential. It's not phonetic. So in the underlying Greek text... Revelation 13.18, the number 666 is specified with three Greek letters. It is not written in the form of Greek words, unlike almost all other numbers in the New Testament. There are two numbers that I know about off the top of my head in the book of Revelation that are not written in the form of Greek words. One is the number 144 for the 144,000 Israelites who are to be sealed. Okay. The second number is this number 666. So, in the Greek text... You've got one letter, this one that I'm circling here for 600, okay, right here, mm -hmm. See for 600. You've got the second Greek letter, which is this one right here in the right-hand column, the rightmost letter, for 60. And then you've got a third letter, this one right here, for 6. And that's the basis for knowing the number 666 is what the calculation should be, okay? So if people go and look at the received text, the Textus Receptus, not the Nestle Allen, not the majority text in most, because the majority text, if you go and look at the majority of actual Greek manuscripts, they've all got what the Textus Receptus has. But for some reason, in the Nestle Allen text and the majority text, they spelled it out with Greek words. 
which shows some corruption of the actual verse. The received text, which is the text upon which both the King James translations are based, the authorized and the new and some other translations, actually specifies it with these three Greek letters instead. Okay? That's the actual uncorrupted verse. So, for Revelation 13, verse 18, and I'm speaking of that verse specifically. So, when we look at this, you know, we've got the precedent of a sequential transfer from the Hebrew. Now, the numbering system was originally in Hebrew. It was transferred sequentially to Greek, and it's the Greek version of the system that was expanded to include 500 through 900 that's used in Revelation 13, 18. Okay? So, in the Old Testament times, before they had uh, words to specify numbers, they actually had these numbers assigned to the Hebrew language, and that's mm -hmm. what they used to represent numbers. And it goes 1 through 9, 10 through 90, 100 through 400, and then it got cut off in Hebrew because there were only 22 glyphs or characters in Hebrew. You know, English has 26. Greek has even more. Okay? So the title, Charles, Prince of Wales, when we transfer that same system sequentially to English based upon the historical precedent, works out to exactly 666. Now, if that's all we had, that would be astonishing, even without the imagery, even without the calculation in Hebrew, which I'll come to in a moment. Mathematically, that's close to impossible without tampering with a name. And by the way, this title, Prince Charles Wales, it's really Charles Prince of Wales, like uh, Jesus of Nazareth or Jesus of Nazarene or mm -hmm. Paul of Tarsus or really the Apostle Paul or Apostle Paul of Tarsus, Christ Jesus of Nazareth. So it's a it's a biblically formatted name, if you will, Charles, Prince of Wales, by which he was known until recently, and I'll come back to why the name calculation no longer matters today. Okay. But uh, but that being said, so in other words, it doesn't matter that he's king or that he's no longer titled Prince Charles of Wales or that kind of thing. It's now irrelevant, and I'll come back to why that is later. But the title, Charles, Prince of Wales, in English is precisely 666. Mm -hmm. No tampering whatsoever with the name or the system at all. Now, the original biblical numbering system, the exact same title, Daniel, which is Nasik Charles Mavoyles. Mm -hmm. Nasik is a, an heir apparent to the throne, a prince or a ruler who's an heir apparent to the throne. Right. Uh, Mam here from Ma in Hebrew, and I'll enlarge this a little bit so people can see it. This character that I'm encircling mm -hmm. is there for of. It's for the word of. And then Charles is transliterated in Hebrew, and Wales is transliter transliterated right here in Hebrew. There's no translation for either of those words because they didn't have them, you know, back in biblical times, you know, the first century, so mm -hmm. it's transliterated. But this is how it's actually spelled in the modern Israeli press, Nasik Charles of Wales. And that title on the original biblical numbering system in Hebrew with no transference at all is exactly 666. Now you're actually in the realm of not possible. Even if the universe were 15 billion years old, and it's really, really only thousands of years old, but even if it were 15 billion years old in the whole history of the universe, this could never, ever happen. And to give a little more explanation of that, there's a completely different combination of numbers you know, between Hebrew and English for the exact same title, and in both cases exactly 666, no tampering. You are in the, the statistical realm, the mathematical realm of impossibility right there, even if you didn't have the imagery. In this case, though, we have the imagery, only person in history to have it, and the title by which he's globally known works out to 666 in both languages. If that's all we had, Daniel, and we had literally nothing else whatsoever, and there's a great deal more 
you know, it's in my book, The Antichrist and the Cup of Tea, even in the first edition. And the second edition, you know, which is published this year, is available for people to purchase now from Prophecy House. So let me just show that briefly, and we'll come right back to this. On Prophecy House's site, which is where people can get this book and my other things, it's just prophecyhouse.com on the Internet. And I'll have, you know, three multi-volume series and about 40 books out within two to three years, most of which I've worked on for more than uh, a decade each. But right now, they can get this book over here in North Korea, Iran, and the coming world war, and they can order the second edition of the Antichrist and the Capitita ship, you know, start shipping within weeks. And uh, so back to this and our name calculation. If this is all we had, it's all the proof that any Christian mm -hmm. who actually believes Scripture, and let me emphasize this, Daniel, to any Christian who actually believes what God's Word says, and I've shown the verses there in Revelation 13, this is all that is necessary for them to know that Charles is the Antichrist, to know ifs, ands, or buts, including somebody like Joyce Pugh. It's only the people who are questioning what Scripture actually says, or who are willfully blind, who will question what I've just stated. But as I said, there's a great deal more evidence, and I'll show some examples of that here in a moment. So, coming back to the heraldic achievement, and let's, let's first go to Daniel chapter 7 for a moment. And actually, before I do that, let's go back, sorry, to uh, sure. to Revelation, I don't know if it's 12 or 11, I always forget. Let's see here. Uh, okay, it is 11. All right. Uh, maybe it's, no, maybe I had it right. I did have it right. All right. So here in Revelation 12. No. <laughs> all right, well, I fumble all over <laughs> my words here. All right, so the two witnesses will testify during the Great Tribulation for 42 months or mm -hmm. 1,260 days, right? All right. Now, in here, and I, I thought it was these two verses, but maybe it's maybe it's actually Revelation 13, where we were. Yeah, let's see here. Nah, I don't know. All right. Anyway, it's time, times, and a half a time in Daniel chapter 7. Mm -hmm. Time for one year, times for two years. And that was actually how times was understood in the days of Daniel and even up through the first century. And then half a time for six months, basically. And that's in Daniel chapter 7. And go to the end of the chapter there. So we have in this chapter a beast that is called the little horn of the eyes of man. And it goes on to talk about this beast for a time, times, and a half a time, right. you know, basically persecuting God's saints, or for three and a half years. And starting around uh, verse 24, uh, it talks about this, or actually even earlier than that, um, it talks about a horn, a little horn, in which are eyes like the eyes of a man. Right here, uh, speaking pomp. Yep. Words. Mm -hmm. All right. Right. Now, in the context of Daniel, that was understood as a unicorn with human eyes, or even originally as an aurochs bull from the side profile mm -hmm. that looked like it had one horn, because the bull eventually morphed into the unicorn in Assyria and uh, Babylonia, because they would show the bull and the lion. In this case, it became the unicorn, the lion in opposition to one another on their round seals. They were religious seals in ancient Syrian Babylonia, and in some cases they'd add a serpent or a dragon. 
basically as the forerunner to the pattern of the royal coats of arms of the British monarchy. And then with Charles adding that red dragon, uh, the full-blown seal, if you will, as a forerunner to his heraldic achievement as the Antichrist. But what I want to point out here is Daniel 7 is identifying this individual who rules for three and a half years, the same person you know, that Revelation 13 and really Revelation 11 through 13 are talking about Yeah, for that same period of time as a little horn with a man's eyes as opposed to this beast with feet like a bear, body like a leopard, mouth like a lion. It's the same beast. And all that imagery comes together on Charles' heraldic achievement. So when we come back to, pardon me, to his coat of arms mm -hmm. right here. Right. All that imagery comes together. Now in Daniel chapter 7, it tells us of that little horn of the eyes of a man that he comes up among ten horns and three are plucked up by the roots. Right. And those ten horns represent ten kings or rulers who are to be under the Antichrist during that period of the Great Tribulation and are understood to represent the formation of that global government or global governance under him throughout the Great Tribulation. So... On this heraldic achievement, there are multiple beasts and multiple heads. And in Revelation 13, it tells us one of the heads, plural, of this beast mm -hmm. receives a mortal wound and recovers from it. Right. And the manner of the recovery leads the world to follow after him. You know, and the false prophet, that second beast, encourages the world to worship this beast after that deadly wound is healed. I go into all that because you'll notice around the necks of each of these beasts is something that looks like three horns plucked up by the roots. It's around the neck of the dragon, the red dragon right here, that I'm circling. Mm -hmm. I see it. Right here. It's around the neck of the little horn, the eyes of man, or the unicorn having human eyes, right here. Mm -hmm. It's around the neck of this dexter beast, this lion, leopard, bear beast. Yep. It's around the neck of the one at the top of the heraldic achievement above the uh, crest. This is called the crest. That's actually the same beast as this lion, leopard, bear beast here. It shows up twice on the heraldic achievement right here. And then it's in one more place, which is the most significant, which is the neck of the overall heraldic achievement right beneath the helm, which is the head mm -hmm. of the corporate beast right, right. here. This right. is the helm, the head. Right here is the label again, posed over the royal shield. Now, this is the label of the eldest son in heraldry. That's what it is. It represents Charles specifically and explicitly as we read this coat of arms. So it's telling us, in other words, that this little horn of the eyes of a man is Charles. That this beast with feet like a bear, body like a leopard, mouth like a lion, is Charles. That the red dragon, which represents Satan, is Charles. In other words, it implies that Satan is going to possess Charles. That's what it's telling us. Mm. When it's telling us that Satan is Charles, they're one and the same, it's also telling us that Satan will possess Charles. And then if you notice this, the word horn in the Hebrew text, as well as in the Greek, both languages, has three different shapes to it. It can be conical, like the horn here on the unicorn. Nobody has a problem rec recognizing this as a horn, right? Right. It can also be shaped like a flask, you know, like in a chemistry vial, like this is. These three horns plucked up by the roots, these inverted horns, right. these are shaped like a chemistry vial right here. Those are horns by the biblical and by the biblical Hebrew and biblical Greek definitions both. And then it can be shaped like an elephant's tusk, like these seven bars that you see going across the helm or the overall head of the heraldic achievement. These are seven horns by the biblical definition right here. Mm. So what you have right here in the center of the heraldic achievement are ten horns, three of which are plucked up by the roots. 
among which come up the little horn of the eyes of man, precisely as described mm-hmm. in Daniel chapter 7. Mm-hmm. Or the Antichrist. So, all of the symbols on this heraldic achievement, literally all of them, are described in Scripture. Down to the tongues, down to the lengths of the tails, down to the hoof and this chain right here. In heraldry, this chain is called a restrainer. That's literally what they call it. Now, I show the most prominent unofficial version of this heraldic achievement also in the book. There are some very unique differences in that one. And again, these are prophetic. This is an occult form of artwork intended by the Satanists who created it to be prophetic. And this is created by the College of Heraldry in London, the most powerful body of heralds in the world. So they are Satanists, in fact, and into the occult. But this thing right here, this chain, is officially called a restrainer. On the unofficial version, which is yet future, relative to this heraldic achievement, mm-hmm. this dragon, which you'll see on the official one, is not touching anything. So Satan isn't touching this compartment. That's what this thing around it is called. It's called a compartment. Okay. It's not touching the rim of the compartment at all. On the unofficial version, this red dragon touches the compartment with its wing here, with a wing tip with this leg right here and in one other place and as it touches this compartment the unicorn lifts its hoof and these are boar's hooves so it has a horse's body boar's hooves a goat's beard yeah and a unicorn's horn and a man's eyes that's the combination that makes this thing up besides a a long tail and some other things like a goat's beard you know I call them tufts in various places right Mm mm-hmm But the hoof is lifted on the unofficial version when this red dragon touches the rim. In addition to that, the chain is loosed. So the restrainer is actually loosed. And one more thing that happens is the unicorn rears back. And instead of having this very graceful appearance that you see right here, it takes on a very satanic and demonic deathly appearance. The whole demeanor changes as if it's possessed. What it actually represents is the loosing of Charles as the Antichrist, the son of perdition in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, where it talks about him being restrained. Right, it does. Okay, that is actually referring not just to the Holy Spirit, but specifically to this thing called a restrainer in heraldry. That's what it's actually talking about. Now, Judas's carryout was the first son of perdition in Scripture. He was called the son of perdition when Satan possessed him and he went to betray Christ for Christ's crucifixion. The only other individual called the son of perdition in the Bible, and it's also translated son of destruction, but it's a unique word for destruction. So it's translated twice in the New Testament in both King James versions, I believe, but certainly in the authorized King James as perdition, meaning a a unique form of destruction. So Judas was the son of perdition when Satan possessed him. Mm -hmm. Charles will be the son of perdition when Satan possesses him. And at that point, the restrainer is loosed. And it's even seen in that unofficial version of the heraldic achievement that I show inside the book, that the chain is actually loosed on it. The restrainer is actually loosed. There's another significant thing. It's quoted in the New Testament concerning Judas's carryout, that he's lifted his heel against the Lord. That's quoted in the New Testament from the Old. And so they had to choose an apostle to replace him, to take the position that he originally had, right? They had to appoint a new apostle in his place, a new disciple to be apostle in his stead after he committed suicide, right? 
When they were doing that, they cited a verse in the Old Testament where they said of Judas that he lifted his heel against the Lord. In the Hebrew text, it's actually hoof, wow. not heel. And this beast has boar's hooves. This unicorn does. It lifts its hoof against the Lord in the unofficial version at the same time that it changes loose. So all of that is cited in the book. But literally, every single symbol that you see on this heroic achievement is quoted in Scripture. It's referenced, I should say. It has meaning. So that's there's a whole chapter devoted to that in the book where I go right down the line through all the scriptures that tie into this heroic achievement. Even the colors of different things are described in scripture. So um, there's much more to this, and I won't get into it because we won't have time, but I'll go on to what happened after. So the first edition of the book was published in 1998, right? All right. I began to research Charles from the top down after God showed me who the Antichrist was initially with just this official heraldic achievement. Yeah, and I'd seen a cropped off version, the unofficial version. I, I didn't have the whole unofficial version in my possession yet at that time. And then the English name calculation, of course, and later had the rest. So when I, when I left the academy, I received uh, in training to go and be stationed at Lowry Air Force Base right before that from a strange interaction with a man I met at Shepherd Air Force Base at the time, the official lineage chart of Queen Elizabeth II, Charles' mother, which I hadn't even thought to look for. I never even thought about it at all up to that point. On that chart, it explicitly claims that the British monarchy sits on David's throne and is the royal house of Israel. Charles, on May 6th of this year, was officially coronated king of Israel. Most of the public doesn't realize that. And soon he will be visiting Israel as king. He was anointed with oil produced in Jerusalem from olives grown on the Mount of Olives. Yeah, the word Messiah or Christos, so Mashiach, Messiah, Christos, Christ, you know, in the Hebrew and in the Greek, of course, you know, uh, respectively means anointed. That's the meaning of the word, right? Mm -hmm. Charles was anointed with oil from Jerusalem. He was Messiahed would be another way of putting that. Christed would be another way of putting that. And he was crowned king of Israel, not just king of the UK, the United Kingdom, or the British Commonwealth. You know, those nations that recognize the British monarchy as their king. And soon he'll be visiting Israel. And you know what they prepared for the Messiah, meaning the anti-Messiah, the Antichrist in Israel, Daniel? No, was that? Community, what no. Was prepared? no, was that? A gold, yeah, a gold crown and a Torah scroll that they wow. intend to present to the Messiah when they decide who that is when he visits Israel. Hmm. Now, the night before Charles was crowned on May 6th, there was a blood red moon, you know, a lunar eclipse. Right. And the chief, quote unquote, rabbi of the United Kingdom spent the night at Charles' home the night before the crowning. And he participated, along with a bunch of other pagans, in Charles' crowning as king. Yeah, the same event at which the Archbishop of Canterbury, with Charles' permission, called upon the whole world to pledge allegiance to Charles, to pledge fealty to him. A lot of things never done before in any coronation service for the British monarchy ever in history. And in one day, they destroyed 1,100 plus years of an ostensibly Christian ceremony by having a bunch of pagans participate, making it about defender of faith, you know, and protecting faith and religion, as it were, in the UK, not the faith. Yeah, and calling the world to pledge allegiance to Charles as the Antichrist, I'll just be clear about that. 
And, you know, even people talking about a Grim Reaper, and I talk about this in, in uh, another interview, and if we get to it, I'll show it, but there was a figure that appeared that a lot of people, you know, immediately associated in the international press with the quote-unquote Grim Reaper, the Angel of Death, you know, right before Charles Crowning at the event. You know, they passed a, an entranceway inside of Westminster Abbey, caught on film, you know, regardless of who or what that actually was, the international press and the international public were saying, is that the angel of death, the Grim Reaper? You know, Charles Coronation. It's very significant for other reasons. So this unicorn looks pale gray, doesn't it? On the achievement? I'd say. Yeah, and it has a horse's body, okay? Now, the word for horse in the four horsemen of the apocalypse, for example, in the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, can be a horse, it can be a pegasus, it can also be a unicorn. All of those are translated as horse in the New Testament, literally. That word for horse compasses all of the above. They all have a horse's body. That word horse compasses all of the above. Now, in Revelation chapter 6, let me show the verse for a moment here. Verses 7 to 8, for the fourth horseman of the apocalypse, whose name is Death, it talks about a pale horse, and many English translations will translate it as ashen. Some will say pale gray or, or uh, you know, pale green or that kind of thing. The literal meaning of the Greek text is pale green gray, and it's literally the color of rotting human flesh. Mm. It represents death. And the name of the rider of this you know, horse that looks like rotting human flesh in terms of his coloration, and the Greek word is chloros, uh, it says that the name of this rider is death, and Hades, meaning hell, follows with him. This is on earth, right? Right. Okay. Now, the only individual called death in the New Testament, other than this individual, is Satan. In other words, it indicates that Satan possesses this fourth horseman, that Satan is the fourth horseman. Right here. Okay? Wow. Right. Now, before continuing with this verse for a moment, let's look at this horse again right here, this unicorn. It's not actually pale gray or white either. It's not. That's not the actual coloration. So and let me explain why. What you're looking at here is the CMYK or cyan, magenta, yellow, and key, pardon me, coloration of what, what it would look like on a printed cover of a book. You know, done in an offset press, which is the color combination that, or color spectrum that's used for most book covers. Okay? Like paperback books. Right. CMYK. Key being K, key, uh, K being key or black. That color spectrum crops or cuts off, removes quite a few colors. And in the case of this heraldic achievement, it actually removes the greenish hue from this unicorn. If we simply print this or show it in RGB, the red, green, blue color spectrum, and there I am going the wrong direction here. And I did an example of the book cover, you know, showing mm -hmm. that color spectrum. Do you see the green issue? I do. So all of a sudden, the unicorn is pale green gray. Charles is the fourth horseman. His name will be Death because he's going to be possessed by the red dragon. And notice how much more red this dragon is right here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very, very obvious. There's no tampering with this, no manual editing. It's just a, a difference of printing it as RGB instead of CMYK. That's the only difference. 
And of course, this one that I did right here is a bit lower resolution, but it's the same image. So now coming back to the Greek text here for a moment on this fourth horseman. Now, if we go to 1 Corinthians 15, yeah, Satan is identified as death in the passage. Oh. And if we go down to the bottom of it, it tells us, Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, Hades, where's your victory? In other words, the devil ultimately gets crushed by the Lord. Right? Right. And then if we go to Revelation chapter 20, same thing. At the end of the millennial kingdom, you know, when Satan is finally forever, you know, vanquished, if you will, and permanently cast down to heaven, down to hell, pardon me, because he's restrained for for the period of the millennial kingdom for a thousand years. But then he's briefly loosed per this chapter, Revelation 20, right. to deceive the nations one more time at the end of Christ's thousand year reign. And then after that, in conjunction with the great white throne judgment, it tells us, you know, death and Hades, you know, after delivering up the dead that are in them, are both cast into the lake of fire. And that's the second death. That's the end, if you will, of creation ever hearing from the devil. Okay? So, back to Revelation 6. Charles, as the fourth horseman, is to be possessed by the devil down the road. Now, on to something else. So, all of this, you know, gosh, even, you know, from 1987 through early 1998, when I got that uh, lineage chart of Charles' mother, and by the way, let me point out that that chart is available from Prophecy as People can actually get the chart itself. Published in London, it's the official lineage chart of Queen Elizabeth II, and it goes back literally thousands of years. So it's pretty small print, and it's a big chart. They can get the chart with the book from Prophecy House. So if I go here, even though this is the cover of the first edition that it's showing, it'll soon be replaced with the cover of the second edition. But this is about getting the second edition right here. And people can buy the second edition with the chart right here. They can get them together. So people can actually see the chart, though it is documented also in the book itself. So coming back to the imagery here. So this was 1998, February of 1998, 11 years after I started to write this book. I began it while I was still, still a cadet at the Air Force Academy. And 11 years later, the first edition was published. Now this year, the second edition is published and massively updated from the first edition. There's a lot that's happened since 1998. But a very, very important thing that happened, well, I always go the wrong direction here, so I apologize. Almost always, there we go. So in the early 2000s, the actual statue that is to be the desolating abomination that is to go on the Temple Mount, that exact idol was created to Charles. It exists. It already exists. It's in a crate waiting to be placed atop the Temple Mount today as we're talking. Oh, wow. This idol has Charles' face, and it portrays him as a quote-unquote winged god and as quote-unquote savior of the world. The inscription savior of the world was actually on the base of this statue to Charles, calling him the savior of the world explicitly. It shows Charles as an angelic winged figure dressed only in a loincloth 
standing atop a mass of human bodies or human heads as if he were atop them, just hovering right over them or stepping on them. One of them dressing a bottle, uh, drinking a bottle of wine, looking up to him as savior. This was commissioned by a Brazilian state government, uh, the government of Tocantins in central Brazil, right after the Rio Earth Summit. You know, just years after the Rio Earth Summit, to hail Charles as the environmental savior of the world. Now, they created two versions of this. They're identical except for the size. This is the miniature version that was handed to Prince Charles, given to him as a gift, and photographed by the BBC and reported on by the British Broadcasting Corporation. Hmm. And they reported even that Charles was being hailed as a winged god and as the savior of the world. Mm -hmm. You know, so this is a perversion and inversion of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. In that verse, which is called the Proto-Evangel or the Proto-Evangelium, the first preaching of the gospel in the Bible, you have the Messiah or the seed of the woman, meaning this man who's to be who's to come by a virgin birth, because women do not have their own seed. The Messiah or the seed of the woman who would crush the seed of the serpent, meaning the devil's seed, in this case the Antichrist. Right? And then the collective seed of the woman, which would be the church, the church in Christ, you know, as the seed of God. And the collective seed of the devil, meaning everyone who's not a Christian. So we as the church in Christ crush the heads, if you will, typologically, of the non-Christian world. Ultimately, in the end, we win in Christ, right? But this is a perversion of that. So instead of having the Messiah Christ crushing the heads of the wicked ones or the devil, it's got the devil and the Antichrist crushing the heads of the rest of mankind, or in this case, ostensibly Christians. Hmm. You know, flipping on its head what Scripture says, inverting it. Now, what a lot of people don't know is that the devil, Lucifer, was the messianic cherub in heaven before he transgressed and fell. Have you ever heard that before? Uh, no. Yep, that's Isaiah chapter 28. So if we look at the verse just very, very briefly here, I think it's Isaiah. If not, it's Ezekiel. Let's see here. Okay, well, I got it backwards. It's Ezekiel 28. I mix that one up sometimes, too. Let's see here. Yep. So right here in Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 14, speaking to Lucifer, the Lord tells him, you are the anointed cherub who covers. You know, and this is before his transgression. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Walking up and down the fiery stones of God. Okay? On the mountain of God. So, uh, anointed is messianic. And the cherubim were the most powerful angels God ever made. You know, like the seraphim of Isaiah chapter 6. Those two groups of angels were the most powerful of the angels. Satan, Lucifer, before he transgressed and was just Lucifer, Daystar, was the messianic cherub. He was in the role of the Messiah in God's kingdom in heaven. A created angel. Now God, yod heh the Lord, not a created being, took on a human body, you know, in the virgin birth, you know, in the person of Christ Jesus, or Messiah Yeshua. He's God incarnate, right? Right. But before he took on a human body, he was known as the angel of yod heh or the angel of the Lord. In the Old Testament, for example... When he appeared to Abraham with two other angels and ate with Abraham, one of the three Abraham referred to as yod heh and worshipped him. 
understanding that this was God himself manifesting as an angel, not a created being, but as a theophany before he took on a human body, appearing as an angel, but not a created angel before he took on a human body. So God replaced Lucifer as the Messiah through the person of the real Messiah, Christ Jesus, Messiah Yeshua. Now here we are, all these you know centuries and millennia later, with the devil trying to usurp that and invert it and retake his position as the Messiah and usurp God's throne as the quote-unquote God over creation, as an insane creature whom God made. Now, in the early 2000s, this statue was created to Charles. I show in the Antichrist in the Cup of Tea, the second edition, that this specific statue is described in the root words of the Hebrew verse, Daniel 9.27, the Hebrew text, of Daniel 9.27, describes this specific statue dressed only in a loincloth without spread wings. And the name Charles, which actually means strong man or strong, that's its actual meaning. And folks, don't write to me or argue with me about that. If you do, you're wrong. <laughs> I give the, the multiple languages in which Charles means strong. So it's not just strong in English, it's strong in the Germanic languages and other languages. That's its actual meaning. I bring that up because in Daniel 9.27, when it talks about the covenant or the treaty that's to be confirmed, that's how it's often translated in English from the Hebrew, that word that's translated as confirm is gabor in Hebrew. And it literally means to make strong or strengthen by definition or implication to impose or enforce. But the literal meaning is to make that treaty strong. In other words, it implies the name of this being, this Antichrist. You know, and Charles' name is strong. That's the meaning of it. But the statue itself is also described in the same verse. And the root words is dressed only in a loincloth. So, Charles has the imagery, the first beast of Revelation 13. We've seen that, right? Right. The little horn of the eyes of man of Daniel 7, the red dragon of Revelation 13. He has the pale green gray horse or unicorn described in Revelation 6. He has the name calculation described in Revelation 13 using the biblical numbering system, no tampering with the name whatsoever. And atop all of that, he's actually got the statue that is to be the desolating abomination, the idol that is going to go atop the Temple Mount. Now, the full version of this statue that's in a crate somewhere is the same height as the angelic statues that went in the second temple's Holy of Holies. They were 10 cubits in height each. And there's one traditional measurement for a cubit. There are a few measurements that people debate. One of those traditional measurements for a cubit would cause the height of that formal statue, the full-size statue, to actually be 10 cubits. The same height in other words, as the two angelic statues placed in the Holy of Holies atop the Temple Mount in the Second Temple. The statue itself, Charles, is ready-made, ready to go on the Temple Mount. So this combination alone, without even getting into the fact that Charles has been running the world, and he has been, since 1969. He is the top globalist on the planet, bar none. So when people are looking at him and thinking he's got no charisma, Daniel, 
they're completely ignorant of the real Charles. And I'll point that out with a couple of examples in a moment and let you come up for air to ask questions because you probably have a few. <laughs> well, you know, I, I do have questions, but I really want to get the uh, participation of the of the audience here. So let's go ahead and go with our in our live chat. Yep. From Rose says, All right. Tim, do you believe the Antichrist will have the DNA of Jesus? That is a conspiracy theory I heard on the Internet a lot. No. And he is called the seed of the serpent. There are people like David, David uh, Ike or Icky, however his name is pronounced. Mm-hmm. I like Icky. Yeah. <laughs> out there claiming that the British monarchy are descended, the British royals are descended from Nephilim. Mm-hmm. You know, actually of corrupt genomes, corrupt quote unquote seed. Okay. All right. This is. There is. Go ahead. There is no proof for that. Okay. But he is the seed of the serpent, spiritually at least. Okay. All right. This is from Kentucky Girl. Uh, Tim, what about the translation of lightning fallen from heaven uh, for, I don't know if it says B.O., maybe Barack Obama, I don't know. Barack. Barack. His name also adds up to 666. So the claim on the numbering adding up to 666 for Obama is false. That is a lie. It does not, without tampering with the name, and it does not on the biblical numbering system. And you may only, I repeat, only use the biblical numbering system. Now, the Greek text of Revelation 13:18, as I said earlier in this interview, specifies the system for doing the calculation. That is not what is being used with Obama. Additionally, Obama does not have the imagery of that first beast. And that imagery, which is that coat of arms that we've been talking about for mm-hmm. Charles, this thing right here. Yeah. This imagery right here, this lion leopard bear beast and the fiery red dragon, mm-hmm. is required before you can even attempt the calculation. Obama fails on all counts. Tim, he is me... not qualified. I, I do want to point one other thing, though. Okay. You know, people looked at Obama and this word Barack, lightning, because I saw Satan like lightning or like Barack fall from heaven, right? Mm-hmm. Obama is, in fact, along with Biden, an Antichrist foretold in Scripture, not this Antichrist, not the one who's going to be over a global government. So let me tell folks exactly where they can see what I share online about that. Go to my YouTube channel, which is Author Tim Cohen, A-U-T-H-O-R-T-I-M-C-O-H-E-N, no spaces. And did I type it wrong? Oh, yes, I did. Either that or they banned you. (laughs) Yeah, let me worried for a moment. There we go. They don't have a reason to ban me. So uh, here we are. This is my YouTube channel. If you go to my playlist... For the topic of the Antichrist, the foretold Antichrist, right here. And in that playlist, you look for Blucifer, meaning that blue horse that's outside Denver International Airport, mm-hmm. right here. This thumbnail that has Blucifer right here. Let me see if I can enlarge this a little bit so that people can more easily see it right here, this one. Yeah. I talk about the identities of the first and third horsemen in this presentation to a church in November of last year. So the black, the third horseman is not black, just like the fourth one is not pale or pale gray or ashen. It's pale green gray. The third horseman is not black. It's actually the precise coloration of Lucifer, that horse outside Denver International Airport. And there's another copy of that horse outside a college or university in Oklahoma as well, made by the same artist. That being said, the first horse is white. And that one is actually associated with Obama and Biden going back to the 2008 Denver, uh, Democratic National Convention. 
So there's a lot more to it. I bring out some of it in this presentation. Now, I have a book coming on the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse that's on all four of them, but in that book, I specifically identify with a lot of evidence the first and the third horseman. I have separate books out on the fourth horseman, the fourth one, fourth one being Charles, right? Right. As the one who's going to be over global government and actually be possessed by Satan throughout the Great Tribulation. The second one, the fiery red horse of the second seal, is identified in this book, North Korea, Iran, and the Coming World War. So, I, And the subtitle on that one is Behold a Red Horse. And you can see it, the cover a little bit better here. I've got a thumbnail on it. And again, I might be going the wrong direction. Uh, someday, maybe if I'm really lucky, I'll get the direction right the first time for all these. Okay, so that's the cover on that book, Behold a Red Horse. That red horse is the national symbol of North Korea. It's also associated as a fiery red pegasus. It comes out of Asian mythology with uh, Mobile Oil Corporation, ExxonMobil, going back yeah. to Magnolia Oil. Mm -hmm. We had, the United States had the Red Horse Brigades. It's an acronym standing for Rapid Engineering Deployment, yada, yada, facing off against North Korea during the Korean War because we understood that that was their national symbol. It actually overlooks downtown Pyongyang. It's on their currency. They've named a lot of their armaments after it. In Asian mythology, it's called Kanama or Kalima. So I go into that in this book and the fact that World War III is actually going to begin not with the invasion of Ukraine, yeah, but peace will be taken from the earth when North Korea and Iran and other Muslim nations go to war, you know, involving ultimately NATO and, of course, Russia and China and Pakistan and India and South Korea, South Korea and Japan and so forth, all those countries, Australia, etc. We'll be in World War III pretty quickly when the wars kick off under this second seal with North Korea and Iran. And by the way, just to tell you, Daniel, and to tell the audience, this book took about a decade to write as well, a little over a decade. Published in 2018, I started it in 2007. Years before Russia's invasion of Ukraine took place, in this book, I talk about Russia's invasion of Ukraine and what comes next. Before it happened. So, just Tim, to say... Tim, Tim clear, clarify, clarify for me. Obama and Joe Biden are uh, anti-Christ under... Obama, Charles? Under Charles. Under Charles. Under Charles. Okay. So they're like, not the like, only ones. They're like minions. Is Joe Biden going to make it? Is, is he well enough to be an antichrist? Well, uh, Biden is not running the White House. Obama is. I imagine. Uh, that's probably this is Obama's right. third term right now. Yeah, I would agree yeah, with Obama that. is on record. Yeah, Obama is on record as stating he'd like to have a third term and he'd be perfectly happy if he was, you know, in that third term behind the scenes pulling the strings like a puppet master. Mm-hmm. He's on film, on record, stating that in a newscast. Obama is. Mm -hmm. So Biden is being run by Obama and his people, including Victoria Nuland, Susan Rice, other holdovers, holdovers if you will, from the Obama administration. I, I refer to it as abomination. Right. That administration. And uh, I'm not the first person to call it abomination, but I did happily come up with that word on my own also. Is, uh, so, is, 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 is Donald Trump uh, uh, an antichrist? No, he's not. He is opposed to the globalist plans. He's a young Christian, a baby Christian in some ways. There are some areas where he's not morally where he should be, but I believe he's a genuine Christian, born again, growing in the Lord, and getting corrected by God over time. Wow. And he's very serious about doing what's right for this country, even though he's made some serious mistakes. You know, like the COVID, you know what, 
But right. at any rate, uh, <laughs> yeah. That hey, being said, let me mm-hmm. ask you something on this. See, on on this picture here you're showing, is that a harp that he, that this lion is playing on the left side, the golden? Lion? Yeah, you know, I told you all of these things are described in scripture, right? Yeah, but I so don't remember Charles. Yeah, Charles as the ostensible son of David. He claims to be the son of David, Israel. Okay. To sit on David's throne. This harp is claimed to be the modeled after the harp from ancient Israel. The Davidic harp is what they actually claim this to be. And it's the national symbol of Ireland. So Ireland, uh, like Israel, is one of the few nations in the world that does not have an unclean symbol for its national symbol. You know, Israel has the Davidic star, the star of David, for its national symbol. Ireland has this harp. And this harp is claimed to be modeled after the harp that was shown on the Arch of Titus. There was a chunk of the second temple carried away by the Romans after they destroyed the temple. And you can actually see it in artwork, that arch. Mm-hmm. And so this is the Davidic harp supposedly representing Ireland. This red lion I told you earlier represents Scotland. These six lions or lion leopards normally represent England. And in, Bebel, in Scripture, they're called the Lions of Tarshish. You know, a lot of people have wrestled with the identity, the identification of Tarshish in the Old Testament, what nation it actually represents. Some people have thought Spain or maybe Gibraltar, you know, like this, the, uh, the Strait of Gibraltar, and then Gibraltar itself or Spain. But it's actually England. And these are the lion leopards or lions of Tarshish. Tarshish is England, England is Tarshish. That's the actual identification historically, and I show that, I go into that in the Antichrist and the Cup of Tea, both editions. This other set of four lions or lion leopards in this heraldic achievement mm-hmm. is another thing that's unique to Charles. He was given this as Prince of Wales. This is the Shield of Wales. So because he's Prince of Wales or was, he had ten in the center of his heraldic achievement. Although William has now been created Prince of Wales and Charles' title is Prince of Wales, has been absorbed. That's what they. That's how they describe it in heraldry. It's absorbed into the crown now that he's king. It doesn't go away for him. The title doesn't go away. It's just dormant, if you will. It's not used. It's absorbed into the crown. So William is the 22nd Prince of Wales. Charles is still the 21st. But William is not yet in. He's not yet um, invested or crowned as Prince of Wales, and he might never be. It took 11 years before Charles was after he was created Prince of Wales in 1958. So, you know, and he was crowned in 1969. So that being said, you have Wales, England, Scotland, and Ireland symbolized here in the center of the heraldic achievement, mm-hmm. meaning the core nations of the United Kingdom, if you will. And because these are the lion leopards of Tarshish, historically, it represents the offspring of the United Kingdom. So we could say that would be the United States, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, other nations that accept the British monarchy as their nation, as their uh, monarchy. So the British Commonwealth is now 56 nations. It was 53. It's gone from roughly a quarter of the world's population to nearly a third today. In the British Commonwealth, I think it's 14 of those nations that represent that uh, accept the British monarchy as their monarchy. So not all of those nations, you know, accept the British monarchy as their their monarchy, but Mm -hmm. uh, 
you know, Australia, Canada, New Zealand, for example, they still do, like the uh, United Tim, Kingdom. Tim, when, when Satan enters into Charles, will he do miraculous signs and wonders? So that's another area that people get confused on. Uh, he might, but that is not what the Scripture says. So if we go back to Revelation chapter 13, which is the actual verse that talks about such signs being done. Right. It's actually the second beast that does the signs in this chapter, not the first. Charles is the first beast of the chapter. The Antichrist will be possessed by the devil. The false prophet will perform great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men and deceives those who dwell on the earth by the signs he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, meaning the first one, or Charles, is the Antichrist, Mm -hmm. telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast, that's Charles, who was wounded by the sword and lived. Okay, so another way of thinking about this, you know, John the Baptizer, you know, testified to Christ, right? He was the cohort, if you will, to Christ in the first century. And uh, Christ said, you know, if you can receive it, he is Elijah who was to come, right? Right. Now, the two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11 will have power to call you know, to do various signs on the earth, including to call thunders down on mankind, on the nations, which would be all the nations of the world that are trampling the Temple Mount underfoot during the period of the Great Tribulation per Revelation chapter 11, okay? So the two witnesses as two prophets of God will do before God, including before Christ, you know, who still be in heaven at that point, signs and wonders, including calling thunders, you know, lightning down on the earth, thunders and so forth, Right? That's the two witnesses. The antithesis to that is this false prophet doing something comparable under the Antichrist or the first beast, doing signs and wonders before that first beast. Okay? So, yes, Charles might seem to do miracles when he's possessed by the devil because obviously Satan can do signs and wonders, right? Counterfeit signs and wonders. And he will obviously seem to cause the Antichrist to ostensibly rise from the grave or whatever this looks like to the world. It'll be so strange, so unusual, so unexpected that the world will begin to worship this first beast, worship the Antichrist possessed by Satan, right? So it even says the word worship in this chapter right here, twice. The world will worship the, the Antichrist worshiped the devil in Charles at this time. So people are looking at Charles right now. Some people are saying, okay, Tim, so he's got the evidence, you know, the, the signature, if you will, of the Antichrist. Nobody else does. But has he done any miracles? No. Has he risen from the grave? No. Well, then he can't be the Antichrist. Wrong. <laughs> he's already proven to be the Antichrist. And this, is, this comes back to why I said earlier, it doesn't matter what his name or title is anymore. It doesn't matter if he calculates the 666 anymore. And the reason it no longer matters is this verse, Revelation 13, 18, which tells us to do the calculation. Uh, Let me get back to it right here. Is already fulfilled. It's been fulfilled for decades now in my book and before the book was even written. When I and Monty Judah, for example, were telling the world Charles is the Antichrist. He's got the evidence no one else ever has, no one, ever, no one else ever will. It's already fulfilled. 
And even after the book was published, you know, the idol that's to be the desolating abomination came out. And a lot of things have happened since, just further strengthening the case, the fact that Charles is the Antichrist. So that being said, doesn't matter one bit that he hasn't been wounded yet. Doesn't matter one bit that none of these signs that this chapter is talking about, meaning miraculous seeming signs or supernatural seeming signs have occurred. None of them have yet. And that's actually not true, by the way, Daniel. There have been some signs that nobody else knows about. I know about them. And I bring them out in this book, the second edition of the Antichrist and the Cup of Tea. To give an example of that, in 1969, when the crown was paced placed on Charles' head to coronate him Prince of Wales, both he and his mother were facing, literally facing, the red dragon as that was done. Literally facing that same red dragon that's on Charles' heraldic achievement as Prince of Wales. All around them, on the castle walls, on the interior and the exterior castle walls, both were huge white sheets with the red dragon in the center of them and gold tassels at the bottom. Red dragon banners hung on the castle walls. So to the left and right of Charles and his mother, to the front and back of both of them was the red dragon. His mother, the queen, stood up from a great Welsh slate throne that had a backrest, and on it was engraved this red dragon. She stood up from that throne with a backrest, having that dragon on it, to put the crown on Charles' head, and he was facing that dragon through her body when it was done. Now, here's the fascinating part. When I said miracles or supernatural activity, everyone in the world, Daniel, the largest audience in history could see that it was his mother putting the crown on his head to coronate him Prince of Wales, right? Well, how did Charles recount that event in his biographies to his biographers later? Hmm. He said, quote, my father put the crown on my head. My father handed me the vestments you know, or the mm. titles, this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I quote that in the Antichrist and the Cup of Tea. But everyone in the world could see it wasn't his father who did it. It was his mother. So what was he saying? Actually, he was referring to the devil as his father. Mm. And that's not the only instance. You recall not so long ago, Charles at the World Economic Forum said, trillions at, quote unquote, his disposal. Right? Quote, trains at his disposal. And everybody's saying, who could Charles be talking about? He must be talking about the Antichrist. A lot of people thought that, right? In fact, he was referring to himself when he's possessed by the devil down the road. And by the way, as the British monarch today, the British crown doesn't have billions or tens of billions in wealth. It actually has tens of trillions with a T of wealth in reality and that's documented in this book and it was mentioned and documented a bit even in the first edition of the Antichrist and the Cup of Tea. How do they have trillions? Because all those nations that acknowledge the British monarchy as their monarchy officially to do that all of their lands, all of their property, all of their resources, all of their people belong to the crown. So everything that is Canada, everything that is Australia, everything that is New Zealand, etc., all those you know, 14 nations, for example, in the Commonwealth that say the British monarchy is their monarchy, technically everything they have is owned by the crown. Now it's all owned by Charles, who is the crown. Whether he could ever avail himself or not of any of that, that's an academic argument. Who knows, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But the point is, 
Charles having the crown is now exponentially more wealthy than all the billionaires of the world in the whole history of the world combined. Tim, now when do you uh, estimate he will take his place? Well, let me, uh, I'll answer that by finishing this point okay. on the crowning. Go ahead. There were multiple cameras, film cameras, movie cameras, filming the investiture live when it happened. One of those on multiple frames captured what I call X-lightning, for lack of a better term. It looks like an X in the same place on multiple frames of film captured at the exact same moment, very briefly, just by just one camera. And that X-lightning runs through the backrest of the Queen's throne, through her body, and through Charles' head. Literally, at the moment, she's placing the crown on his head. And the other branch of that X runs through the Queen's body, and through Prince Philip's head, while Prince Philip was sitting on his throne that did not have a backrest. A supernatural event, in other words, captured on film. And I believe what it was showing was the devil possessing the queen and Charles at that moment when the crown was put on his head to coronate him Prince of Wales. So that literally his father, the devil, put the crown on his head, just like he said. Hmm. I'm going to look that, that was up. captured on film. And I actually showed the frame, one of the frames, and give the precise segment in the second edition of the Antichrist Nick Up Tip so people can go see it for themselves. Now, why? why? So that being. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the future now, uh, it's my view based on other areas of scripture that I don't have time to go into. And I've, in my books, let me just briefly point out, Daniel. Uh, I cover literally the whole Bible, all of it. The only exception to that is church governance. So I have a complete systematic theology coming, titled Messiah, History, and the Tribulation Period. That's unique. It's unlike any other systematic theology that exists. It's Messiah-centered from start to finish, showing that all the weeks of Scripture are patterned after the crucifixion week. So people have been out there now, for example, watching that 2030, that Messiah 2030, you know, a movie and film, for example, on YouTube that was released recently. That goes into some of the pattern that actually I first unveiled in this Harmony of Weeks. I circulated about 30, a little over 30 copies of a draft of this in the early 1990s to reviewers. And some of those reviews are quoted in the first edition of The Antichrist and the Cup of Tea from 1998. But at any rate, the Harmony of Weeks, which is the grand unified theology of Scripture, shows that all the, all the weeks of Scripture are patterned after the crucifixion week. I mention that to say that that same pattern gives me personally the clue, if you will, to say this, that the possession of Charles by Satan happens at the midpoint of the tribulation week, right before the Great Tribulation starts. So it is after World War III starts. It is after this fourth horse begins to ride, and it is at the midpoint of the tribulation week, more or less, when Charles is possessed by the devil. And it corresponds, if you will, to when Judas was possessed by Satan. So Judas, you know, the crucifixion of Christ was the fourth day of the week. It was not a Friday or a Thursday, but it was actually a Wednesday when he was crucified the fourth day of the week. And his resurrection was not Sunday morning. It was at the exact end of the weekly Sabbath as the first day of the week at evening began per the Jewish or biblical reckoning of the day. Now, in Genesis, the day begins at sundown, not at midnight. 
And that's why in Genesis, when you read about the first six days of the creation, you know, in Genesis chapters one and two, mm-hmm. it says it was evening and morning the first day, evening and morning the second day, evening and morning the third day. These are 24-hour days, you know, more or less, and divided by evening and morning. And based on that, Israel's scribes and Israel historically always reckon the day, the beginning of it, from the start of nighttime. So not at midnight. So when they could three when they could see by tradition three stars in the night sky, that's when they said, okay, nighttime has begun. It's roughly six p.m. And I say all that say that God's division of the day, whatever that is, at the exact end of the seventh day of the week, is when Christ rose from the grave. Even though the women only saw him at the tomb the next morning, after he'd already risen several hours later. Okay. So all that is to say, he was crucified on the fourth day of the week. It was the fourth day that Judas was possessed by Satan and went to betray Christ. Likewise, it is under the fourth seal of the apocalypse that Charles, will be, the Antichrist, will be possessed by the devil, and thus the, uh, the Antichrist will be known at that point as death, and hell will follow with him on earth, literally hell on earth. So, Charles will be, will be possessed by Satan years probably from now. I don't think we're already in the tribulation week. I'm not 100% on that. You know, if we were to see the wars with North Korea and Iran start the year, start this year, that would tell me that we are already, as you and I are talking right now, in the second year of the tribulation week. You know, or, yeah, or about to enter it, one or the, one or the other. And uh, I don't think that's the case, but we'll see what happens later this year. If that were the case... You know, then the soonest that Charles could be possessed by the devil and the Great Tribulation start would be roughly the middle of next year. I don't think we're there yet. I think we have years still. Hmm. What about the Temple Mount and uh, the people that say, you know, you got the red heifer and things like that? They said there already is a red heifer. And uh, is that play into this? It does. But even before the red heifer, you know, uh, well, maybe not before it, but alongside it, Israel's going to be looking for the Messiah to show up about the same time. You know, there are only 19 red heifers in the whole history of Israel, if I remember correctly. The entire history of the nation, there's only a record of 19 red heifers ever. You know, confirmed red heifers, to my to my recollection, recollection that's what's claimed. All of a sudden, there are five possible red heifers now in the land of Israel. Mm. All of a sudden. Hmm. And they have to wait for each one of them in succession to reach two years in a day and age and then re-examine that animal, each one in succession as it reaches two years in a day and age. And when they re-examine it, if it's still completely red, meaning not more than two or three hairs that are not red on the entire body of the creature, if they find just one, they'll immediately turn the thing to ash and start to cleanse the quote-unquote priests, you know, the mm. priesthood that's been prepared for sacrifice and offering, and to begin the temple service, you know, the full bore, not some of it, but all of it. And if they're not already constructing a tabernacle, you know, and then a temple on the Temple Mount, that's the next thing they'll do if they're not already, you know, constructing a tabernacle at that point. So very soon, that first red half will reach two years in a day and age in terms of their ages. They're all five in Israel right now. But very soon, well, one of them will reach two years in a day and age. And as soon as that occurs, they'll re-examine it. Now, 
With all of that, Charles is about to visit Israel. Now, I, I think I mentioned that earlier in our interview. If I didn't, then let me say it now. One of his first trips as monarch, one of the first, is going to be to Israel. He's already announced that he's going to go visit Israel. We don't know exactly when. Years ago, they prepared a gold crown in Israel. The rabbinic community there did, as well as a special Torah scroll written by hand just for the supposed Messiah, in reality, the Antichrist, the anti-Messiah, the counterfeit Messiah who's coming to Israel, who they're going to proclaim as the son of David and acknowledge as sitting on David's throne. And by the way, this chief rabbi of um, the United Kingdom, who's very prominent in Israel, in Israel's connection to the British monarchy, in a sense, spiritually, and recall it was the United Kingdom that you know had the Balfour Declaration, under the British monarchy that divided up the land in modern Israel and you know, allowed the creation of the modern nation state of Israel, right? Mm -hmm. All this time, since 1948, when Israel became a modern nation state in the land of Israel again, all this time, they've been looking for a male sitting on the throne of David to show up. Now, they don't have the genealogical records in Israel. They were destroyed with the Second Temple. So for somebody to come along and say, here's the genealogy. I'm the son of David. And by the way, the British monarchy has done that since Queen Elizabeth II's coronation in 1953. She was officially coronated Queen of Thy People Israel, quote unquote, in 1953. Her official chart says, yeah, the royal house of Israel, excuse me, the royal house of Israel, the royal line of King David on it. So it's an explicit claim that they've made for more than a century now. For the chief rabbi of the United Kingdom to spend the night in Charles' home and then participate in his coronation you know, the night before and then participate the next morning on a night when there is a blood moon, no less, and with all that occult participation, is explicitly saying that the rabbinic community recognizes Charles as the son of King David. Without them even having to say the words, they're explicitly stating that, you know, by that participation. And I documented, even in the first edition of the Antichrist and the Kapiti, that it was announced more than once in Israel on national news, television news, Channel 2 television in Israel, that Charles is a descendant of King David. He's the only human being, so far as I know, still in the history of the modern world for whom that announcement's been made, and in the history of the modern nation state of Israel for whom that announcement's been made. Though it would be true of William or Harry, too, if either one of them you know, ascended to the throne. But again, they don't have that imagery you know, mm -hmm. that Charles has, nor do they have the name calculation, nor will they ever. Mm -hmm. you know, even as Prince of Wales, they'll never have that. Tim, uh, over time, the lightning has, has struck uh, the Vatican. Uh, lightning has struck the White House more than once. It just seems odd that lightning, you mentioned lightning, or uh, what do you call it? X X lightning, I think is what you called it. Uh, but what is is this the travel method of of, of Satan? Is he is it, when when the lightning strikes? Is he coming into a place? Well, actually, that that letter X, you know, besides representing six hundred, is for whatever reason used a lot in the occult. You know, it's used with pornography. It's used with a lot of things. That number six 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 specified with three Greek letters actually point out. In the second edition of the Antichrist and the Cup of Tea, that if you read that backwards from right to left, the three Greek letters, mm -hmm. if you read it backwards, it looks like S-E-X in English. It literally looks like S-E-X. Hmm. You know, and sexual Satanism is central 
to the worship of the devil. You've seen the Baphomet statue, right? Yes. It's a prominent satanic symbol, you know, used in Satanism today. It actually goes back, you know, I don't know, maybe thousands of years. It's an old symbol in reality in Satanism. It's become more prominent in recent centuries. But the but the Baphomet, Baphomet statue is androgynous. It's a mixture of male and female organs along with, you know, like the goat's head and horns and mm-hmm. all that. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's associated with sexual Satanism, just like temple prostitutes, you know, historically. Mm-hmm. You know, we had sexual Satanism front and center in that event in Birmingham, England. You know, with that Molech bull idol worship, you know, that giant mechanical bull being written, mm-hmm. ridden by a whore under Charles, you know, in July of last year at the opening event for Birmingham, England, the Commonwealth Games 2022, all done under Charles. You know, as I've described in other interviews where I show that bull and all that, but what's so interesting here is that in sexual Satanism today, the most uh, violent, the most aggressive sexual Satanists are the so-called transgenders, those who've been undergoing those mutilating surgeries, mm-hmm. including hormone therapy. It's like many of them are just losing their ability to think rationally as human beings. Absolutely. And they're becoming more violent, more aggressive. And, and listen to this carefully. They are the apex predators of sexual Satanism. And they are externalizing in their bodies what the Baphomet statue actually represents. Hmm. And, and what, The devil what? is using them like apex predators, pedophiles, etc., and is this why they're going after the kids? That's precisely why. It's not that homosexuals and sodomites weren't always doing that, you know, in many cases. Yeah, that's prevalent in that community. Has been historically always. But when you look at your average sodomite versus those who are transgenders, who's there trying to groom all the children in the schools? You know, at the top of our government and other governments around the world trying to push it on the world mm-hmm. and their societies. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, and there are people who think that Obama's wife is a so-called transgender. There are lots of people who think that. Michael Obama, you know, yeah. with photos of Obama and his male lover named Michael, mm-hmm. you know, in in college, looks just like Michelle, you know, minus the sexual organs that appear, you know, some of them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, people aren't just saying that for no reason. Is it likely that she's going to run, or he? She, he's going it. to run for president. Let's just go with it. It, okay. You know, I'll, go, they. I'll, go with, I'll go with that. They. Yeah, hey, by know, the way, I can I, go with calling a transgender a they. I, well, I got a theory on that. Listen to this, and you may have heard me say it, but especially by the way, if they're demonically possessed. But go ahead. Well, we're on the right track here because when when uh, when Jesus met that one demon possessed man, he's he said my 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 name. He said, "What's your name?" He said, "My name is Legion, for we are many." Well. Now all these demon possessed transvestites are saying you got to refer to me as they. Well, of course we do because they got many demons. Well, and you know Satan's kingdom is one of confusion, right? Mm-hmm. Confusion is not of the Lord; it's of the devil. When there's spiritual confusion, it's not coming from God's kingdom; it's coming from the enemy's camp. So here's the here's the thing. You know, a lot of people talk about the satanic trinity, right? Mm-hmm. And the devil, the antichrist, and the false prophet. And they think the false prophet is the third member of that trinity, the devil's trinity, the counterfeit to the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, right? 
Well, that's not actually technically correct. The third part of the devil's trinity is demons and fallen angels who engage in possession. When you and I are filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit animates us, Mm -hmm. moves through us, teaches us, sometimes speaks through us to others, right? Leads us into all truth. When non-Christians are possessed by demons, what happens? Or by fallen angels, say the devil, when he possessed Judas, Mm -hmm. what happens? Those possessing spirits speak through their hosts, like the Holy Spirit speaking through us. Mm -hmm. As Christians, we're possessed by God's Spirit. They're possessed by fallen spirits. So the real antithesis to the Holy Spirit, you know, on the devil's side, Mm -hmm. are demons and fallen angels. Well, is not it, the false prophet. Well, is that why when these demon-possessed leaders in our government speak, they just ramble with nonsensical words and make ridiculous statements that you can't understand, and they laugh hysterically? Is this is this manif- demons manifesting through them? You know, I think in the woke dictionary, and and if they have missed this, they need to add it. That's called word salad mm-hmm. for Kamala Harris, Kamala Karen Harris. Word salad. You know, a lot of what comes out of her mouth publicly is word salad, incoherent statements. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, Biden, same thing. You could argue that's because he's old and senile at this point. He's not all there mentally. Mm-hmm. But I would suggest that for both of them, it's because their brains are being scrambled behind the scenes, probably by Chinese agents during all those times when there's no public record of where Biden actually is and what he's doing like the 40% of the time that he's gone from the White House Mm -hmm. and nobody knows where he is or what he's doing behind the walls and there are no visitor logs being kept, supposedly. Mm -hmm. Gee, could he be meeting with uh, Chinese agents as Joe Manchurian Biden Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to take his instructions from his communist masters? I mean, I don't know. So you're talking about... I'm obviously speculating, right? Well, you're talking about uh, the demons and, you know, the devil's the father of chaos. So that comes out through... uh, uh, Cruella Harris. Now Biden, he's always lying. I mean, his you know he he drove a truck for fifty years. He went to Amtrak fifty years. He marched with uh, Reverend King. His son Bo got killed in Iraq. I mean, he just the, the lies of this guy. I mean, then again, the 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 devil's also a father of lies. So not only the father of confusion for Cruella, he's father of lies for Biden. I mean, so it's the same dude inhabiting both of them. Well, and not only that, sexual Satanism is front and center with Biden and Obama. You remember, it was the Obama White House that first lit up the White House with the rainbow flag, rainbow yep. colors and all mm-hmm. that, and yeah, pushed sexual that. Satanism on the nation and tried to redefine sexual discrimination, you know, or discrimina- discrimination based on sex mm-hmm. as compassing, you know, uh, everyone who's not a heterosexual. And, uh, you know... Now Biden's taking it to the nth degree, you know, with Obama pulling the strings behind the scenes with a so-called transgender lunatic, you know, a secretary of health who's like one of the most unhelpful human beings you could lay eyes upon, (laughs) you know, let let alone listen to. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, everything is a lie. They call this a health secretary. What are they? An unhealth secretary, uh, you know, ready to die and go to hell secretary. So, wow. So what you're talking about here, you know, Obama, you know, let's talk about Biden, actually, you know, always trying to handle the children, right? Get close to them. Yeah. Touch them, rub their shoulders, smell their hair, smell their bodies. Right. They're probably getting turned on by them as he does. So he he is. And if you look at what's on the laptop, you know, with his son, Hunter, you know, just the reports, the factual reports and the photos are released of what's on it. It's clear that he's been engaged in more than just prostitution rings. 
Yeah, and that there's a lot of pedophilia associated with all that and some really horrific things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's actual sexual Satanists, that whole family. Oh, yeah, I mean, uh, Ashley, yeah. Ashley Biden says that she was scared to take showers when old Joe was a- around because he'd come in the shower with her. She was highly sexualized at a young age by her own admission. Hmm. Yeah, you know, because of that. Her, her brother probably got some too. Maybe. You know, it's very sad. It's very tragic. And, you know, those people, you need to pray for them and hopefully God will reach them and save them. But if not, they're on the highway to hell for sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, right, Broadway well, to hell. Well, hey, you know, on, on our website here, we uh, <laughs> during the broadcast, we did add uh, uh, Charles III. So let's just see if he come up in the poll question for, for us tonight here, uh, uh, Tim. Who is the Antichrist? The choices are AI, quantum computer, King Charles III, nobody knows, Prince William. Charles, Prince of Wales, Barack Obama, and the Pope. Let's see what we got. What going on? All right, the Pope's still at the top. Barack second, but we got <laughs> we we got Prince of Wales coming in about seven point percent. So he's coming up. He he's coming up yeah, now, well, man. To those who are even suggesting the Pope or Obama, and by the way, the final Pope of Rome is likely to be the false prophet, as I document in the book. But yeah. those who are suggesting the Pope is the Antichrist or that first beast or Obama as that. Mm-hmm. Have failed to listen and pay attention to this broadcast. Well, well three, back and three, three different, three different popes. I've, you know, just during, you know, because I've been doing this program since 2003, right? So a lot of yeah. guests. So, but at least three times, somebody said, "Duke's gonna be the last pope." Well, when's the last pope, man? Because they keep, they keep yeah. popping out, man. We, we, we keep getting them. I haven't seen the last pope yet. They just keep coming. Yep, yep. Let me share my screen again. I don't know if I. All right, hang I on. hope I didn't. I hope I didn't fail to share my screen earlier. No, uh, you the whole. No, you were sharing. Stuff. You were you were sharing the whole time here. Uh, let me see. Okay, we, so folks, yeah. Here we go. Tell me when it's up. It's up. All right, so folks, those of you who are still suggesting the Pope or Obama, pay close attention now because you literally don't know what you're talking about and you're literally ignoring scripture. So pay close attention now. I'm going to recap this very briefly, but go back and watch this interview from the beginning. So. The only way, biblically, scripturally, to identify the Antichrist is starting right here in Revelation chapter 13. And it starts with this imagery of a beast with feet like a bear, body like a leopard, mouth like a lion. That starts in Revelation chapter 13, verse 2. Okay? To whom a dragon gives him his power, throne, and great authority. That's a fiery red dragon from the prior chapter in Revelation chapter 12. That fiery red dragon is explicitly called Satan. Then, with that imagery present for the person in question, it tells us to do the name calculation right here. Obama, every pope who's ever lived, they do not have this imagery. They never have. They never will. Only Charles has it. He's the only human being who ever has, and it's right here. Beast with feet like a bear, body like a leopard, mouth like a lion, the red dragon. This is Charles' heraldic achievement, unique to him under international law, not just in the past, but for all history. His own sons don't and never will have this. No one else ever will, per international law. Nothing like it. So, Charles has the imagery. Not Obama. Not the popes. Then, in addition to that, the scripture authorizes us to go do the calculation. There's a system for that. I showed it earlier. On that system, and you have to use the right system, it's identified in the Greek text of Revelation 13, covered in the Antichrist in a cup of tea right here. And then this is another version of looking at the same thing. 666 for Charles, Prince of Wales, two different languages. 
This combination proves that Charles is the Antichrist. These things are not true of any other human being, not Obama, not the Pope. That's all you need to know. Now, there is a lot more. You know, Charles has the statue that is to be the desolating idol, the abomination that causes desolation right here. The idol already exists, and it's ready to go on the Temple Mount. Only Charles has that. Obama doesn't. Uh, the Pope doesn't. Wait, Pope wait, Pope no, the, the, now, Obama has a statue in an African village. Yeah, little, not like this. Little, little Barry, yeah, it's not like that, no. Yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> the statue is described in Daniel 9.27, and I go into the Hebrew text of that verse. That verse explicitly describes this specific statue associated with that Antichrist who is to be, you know, over the abomination that causes desolation, and that's Charles. Dressed only in a loincloth with overspread or outspread wings, associated with the name Charles. All that is in the root words of the Hebrew text of Daniel 9.27, as I show in the Antichrist and the Cup of Tea. So, there's an awful lot more. You know, Charles is over the Mideast peace process. He has been from the beginning over the false peace process since 1987. It is all under Charles, even to this day. The whole quartet has the, the you know quartet and its roadmap reporting to Charles the entire time, even today. Tony Blair, after he was Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, was the head of the quartet under Charles. Now it's a different British subject under Charles, who is the head of the quartet. You know, all that false peace process stuff with Israel is under Charles, always has been documented in the book and in another series that I have coming called Israel, quote-unquote, Peace and the Coming World War. That series is going to be retitled uh, by the time that it comes out. It's mentioned, um, let's see, right here on Prophecy House's website where people can get my books and materials. Mm -hmm. It's mentioned here, it's a midi-centric antithesis, if you will, to North Korea, Iran, and the Coming World War. But in this, I cover the peace process in great detail, <clears throat> showing that it's under Charles and always has been. And, you know, since 1987, you know, going to the Madrid peace talks, to the Oslo process, to uh, now the roadmap and what's happening to this day. And uh, then this, this series that's coming will be retitled when it comes out, but it'll be something similar to this, Israel, quote-unquote, peace, you know, and the looming great tribulation. At any rate, um, pardon me, um, Charles has it all. Yeah, and to give you an idea of how he's running the world, and there are many examples, all traced historically, mm -hmm. in the Antichrist and the Cup of Tea, but here's one that your whole audience will get. So everyone today is talking about the Great Reset, right? Right. Okay. And a lot of people are saying, could this person to whom Charles referred, you know, this his, you know, who will have trillions at his disposal, be the Antichrist, right? Okay. So what people don't know is that Klaus Schwab, who founded the World Economic Forum, mm -hmm. right? Right. And runs the World Economic Forum, and he founded it in 1970 or 1971, shortly after Charles' investiture, as Prince of Wales, Prince of the Red Dragon, Satan's Prince, in July 1969. Klaus Schwab is a knight of Charles. He's one of Charles' knights. He works oh. with Charles. Bill Gates, you know, in the World Health Organization, mm -hmm, which is mm -hmm. funded by the United States... Right? right, by the United Nations, it is. and by by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Mm. Right, right. Bill Gates is a knight of Charles. Mm. Obama and Biden, they work for Charles. Obama is related to the British monarchy, and they're tied in through the World Economic Forum under Charles and by other means. 
The United Nations exists because of the League of Nations, out of which it came. Right. The League of Nations existed because of the Royal Institute of International Affairs, for the most part, which is also known as Chatham House, and is based in London, and has been headed by Prince Charles, now King Charles III, for decades. They all three, all the funders of the WHO tie into Prince mm -hmm. Charles, you know, and the Royal Institute of International Affairs and their World Health Organization and the World Economic Forum, all under Charles. So Charles is the person who announced the Great Reset to the World, not Klaus Schwab. Mm. Klaus Schwab wrote the book titled The Great Reset with the COVID subtitle. That was published months later, months after Charles announced the Great Reset to the World from the World Economic Forum, mm. Agenda 2030, and the mm -hmm. WEF, and the Great Reset, it's all under Charles and has been from the beginning. Tim, how, how will America change when the Antichrist takes his seat? It already has changed, even before he takes his seat. Well, I would say it's but changed. That's an idea. Sure, sure changed. I know that. I mean, the lockdowns, everything we experienced during the COVID so-called crisis, right? Mm -hmm, right. The, the you-know-what themselves, all of that sits under the British monarchy and under Charles. You know, that whole depopulation agenda that exists in the world that people talk about? Right. Right? All sits under the British monarchy and was under Prince Philip, for the most mm -hmm. part, Charles' father, mm -hmm. going back for several decades, long before COVID. And mm -hmm. now it sits under Charles. It's not just COVID. It's many different things. Mm -hmm. It sits under the British monarchy. So that being said, what's coming among the changes, and there are many things, one of the risks that the United States and the world faces as we're talking is the United States signing on to this so-called pandemic treaty right. the World Health Organization right. called an accord. Right, they did. They don't want that to be about biological pandemics all of a sudden. Now they want it to be about climate change. They want to call it a climate health pandemic for the world, for Earth itself. So suddenly, you know, when we sign on to this, if we do under the Biden coup regime, and I call them a coup regime, they weren't duly elected. All if right. we sign on to that, if we sign on to that, then all of a sudden they can literally come in and override United States laws, let alone all the other nations that sign on to it, per the way the treaty is written, the so-called accord. They can supersede everything in our country under the Declaration of Principle, excuse me, the, uh, the uh, Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, our laws, federal and state, they can supersede all of it. And they can say, oh, there's a global health emergency and implement lockdowns. Let's say they decide you you can't use your car because it produces too many greenhouse gases. We need to help the health of the planet right. by reducing right. carbon emissions. Right. Sorry, guys, you got a tank of gas in the last two months. No more for you. Whatever it is, we're going to lock you down. We're going to kill the cattle so they can't produce mm -hmm. much methane. Well, Let's wipe that's, out some huge percentage of the well, cattle. That's, that's going on coast to coast. Cattle just, just mysteriously dying by the thousands. But on this depopulation thing, though, Tim, with the Biden bringing in uh, a whole uh, the whole southern continent up here into the United States, and they're going to breed like rabbits. Uh, that's there's there's that's going and that's going to affect the climate because we have to build but, houses. You know, I just yeah, I just pointed out that the climate agenda is tied into the to the World Health Organization now, mm -hmm. right? Right, you did. So the whole eco-fascist agenda has sat beneath the British monarchy for well over a century, actually going back the British Fauna and Flora Protection Societies, uh, Society of the 19th century. You know, out of that Flora and Fauna Protection Society came not in this order, but the International Union for the Conservation of Nature, the IUCN, the World Resources Institute, the World Wildlife Fund, you know, and now funds, 
you know, it's international now, and other global entities that are tied into this green agenda, all of that has from the beginning sat beneath the British monarchy. You know, it was largely under Prince Philip, now it's all under Charles. And so you go back to the Rio Earth Summit, what are they doing? Calling Charles the global environmental savior of the world, literally. Why? Because Charles personally orchestrated and organized aboard the Royal Yacht Britannia the meetings of the international leadership that led to the success of the Rio Earth Summit. So before the Britannia was decommissioned and before the Rio Earth Summit itself transpired, Charles had Al Gore, the president of Brazil, the other major international stakeholders who were to be at the Rio Earth Summit aboard the Royal Yacht Britannia where he refereed the issues between the parties and where they determined the outcome beforehand. And then because the summit was the first international global climate treaty, right? Climate Accord, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. where the initial agenda that people heard about came about also right afterwards. Right. So Agenda 2030 is one in a line of prior agendas. So Charles, because of the international success of the Rio Summit and what he did beforehand aboard the Royal Britannia was credited by global leadership, including by Al Gore himself, for the success of the Rio Earth Summit. Literally credited, Charles personally. Consequently, out of the Rio Earth Summit came the Kyoto Protocol, which the United States did not sign on to, you know, in Japan, Kyoto, Japan. Japan. Then later came the COP agreements, right? Which is, which is basically um, Committee of the Parties. I mean, I think that's mm -hmm. what it stands for, a really dumb acronym. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the United Nations Annual Climate Change, you know, meetings and agreements, they call them COP this, COP that. Mm -hmm. Well, Charles is front and center in the major ones of those. Mm -hmm. And globally credited and heading those, you know, globally credited for those also. So the whole agenda is sitting under him. Why do I bring that up? Because it is also under the World Health Organization. So you asked about depopulation, right? Right. The green agenda is not about saving the environment of the world. It is about killing humanity. So consider this for a moment. They want to force, you know, so-called green vehicles, right? Right. They do. Green energy and the populace. They want to decommission coal and oil plants and gas plants, you know, and replace them with so-called green energy like solar powered, wind powered, which are unstable and can't provide currently a stable source of energy to the grid and are highly polluting in and of themselves in reality because they cannot be recycled. You know, the blades can't be recycled. The solar panels can't be recycled without creating a lot of pollution and using a lot of energy, by the way, to do it. So that being said, it creates destability, instability. It destabilizes and creates instability on the electric grids globally, which creates brownouts, which creates failure of transformers. And do you know that in the United States, you only need between nine and a dozen transformers, supposedly, out of thousands to fail, to cause a cascading failure on the whole grid, supposedly, drawing mm -hmm. transformers across the grid and literally taking out the grid potentially for a decade. Very similar to what an EMP strike would do or an electromagnetic pulse event, even from the sun. If that happens, you lose 90% of the U.S. population supposedly within a year due to deprivation. That's just the United States. Mm -hmm. What happens in Europe? And even before that, if the grid doesn't even go down, okay, let's say that they can't produce enough diesel fuel. Diesel is produced from natural gas. So is fertilizer, okay? They need natural gas to produce both those things and oil, also heavy oil. They need those things to produce diesel and natural gas, excuse me, diesel and um, fertilizer, artificial fertilizer. Mm -hmm. 
between 20 and 70% of a given crop requires artificial fertilizer globally to produce. Yeah, for most crops. Mm -hmm. So that being said, if they take a big chunk of the artificial fertilizer, not even counting wars taking it off the market, but if they do it because of the lack of natural gas, and likewise they take diesel fuel off the market because of the lack of heavy oil being pumped out of the ground, you know, not enough. So they can't have diesel trains and trucks transporting food and keep a steady supply of energy available to farmers as well to do what they do. Pretty soon the transportation grid breaks down, not just the electric grid, but the transportation system. When those things break down and people start to realize they're not getting the food they need and the grocery stores are bare, at that point when they say, bring the original plants back online, the oil and gas you know, and coal, mm -hmm. bring it back online. Till we solve this, because we're starving to death, right? You know, let us have our, you know, gas guzzling vehicles again, right? Because we can't go get what we need to get, or whatever it is, or go to work, whatever it is. At that point, it's too late. It takes a year or more, typically, to bring those things back online once they're mothballed. Normally, it only takes months for people to starve to death. So, yeah, you know, the real goal. It's a goal, it's an agenda of death. You know, this individual when he's possessed by the devil is called death and not for no reason. So while the claim is they want to save the environment, you know, and help life flourish on Earth, you'll notice when there, there are these uh, natural catastrophes like what happened out, outside uh, Palestine mm -hmm. in the United States. Right. Well, Does anybody care? Is any globalist up in arms about it? Not one peep. Yeah, where's Al Gore? Right? No, nothing. And they're poisoning a large area of the United States and making the food that's produced toxic. Do they care about the sudden production of toxic foods? No, they don't. Why? Because, well, hey, kills humans, reduces the human population. That's a good thing. Why are they promoting, you know, a so-called good thing? Why are they promoting sexual Satanism from the top down? Do they suddenly love sodomites and lesbians and those into bestiality and pedophilia and so forth? Do they suddenly love them? You know, is that their thing? Or are they actually grossed out by them? Is there another reason they're promoting them? The real reason they're promoting them is sexual Satanists don't reproduce. It's, again, <laughs> right. reduction of the human population. Right. Well, they're trying to re reproduce in the public school system. That's how they're reproducing. Yep, and they've done many things to make the foods toxic, to make them damaging, mm -hmm. including through GMOs, to do what? Ultimately, reduce human fertility and reduce human population. There's much, much, much more to this, including the, the fake aliens agenda that I go into. And the humanoids are real, by the way. When I call them fake aliens, I'm not saying humanoids don't actually exist. Okay, but the real agenda at the end of the day is annihilation of humanity and supplanting us on Earth. You know, the devil and his fallen minions becoming their own quote-unquote gods over creation instead of the real God. You know, they're insane. They're lunatics, but that's what they want to do. Mm -hmm. So the bottom line is um, the agenda is one of death. It's not one of life. It's the opposite of what they claim. It's what Isaiah 5, you know, 18 through the through 30 says. It's calling evil good and good evil, calling, you know, healthful poison and poison healthful, calling lies truth and truth lies. That's you know, inverting the truth everywhere they go. Mm -hmm. And so it's a literal age of lies. And um, so that's the real thing about the green agenda. And when they want to force you to eat bugs. If this thing where the World Health Organization goes as they wish, yeah. they'll do it. Well, well, they need to they need to eat bugs first. I tell you what, uh, Tim, we're getting near the end of broadcast. Got one more question. We're going to squeeze in here. Uh, can you explain the symbolism of the Great U.S. Seal? 
Yes, you know, a lot of people say that the United States is not present in Scripture, and particularly in the book of Revelation, or present in Bible prophecy in the last days. Mm-hmm. That is a lack of knowledge of Scripture. It's a false teaching. So I'll show you exactly where it is and answer that question at the same time. Okay. So, in fact, all of the symbols in Scripture, you know, like not all of them, but all the ones in Revelation, the apocalyptic symbols, uh, literally exist. So I've shown at this point, you know, in our interview, that that first beast of Revelation 13, the little horn, the eyes of man, etc., they actually exist, right? Right. I've shown the fiery red horse exists when we talk about North Korea and Magnolia Oil and, you know, now ExxonMobil Oil. You know, like they used to have that red Pegasus on the they did. pumps, you know, at the gas stations, right? Mm-hmm. You can you can find that in museums and other places today. You can see it over the old Magnolia Oil Building in Dallas, Texas, I think it is. You know, lit up in neon, you know, every night. So, uh, that being said, these other symbols in the book of Revelation, let me go, for example, excuse me, to Revelation chapter 6. Let's see if I can just quickly, yeah, good. So, if you go to the beginning of the chapter, just the start of it, all four of these horsemen in Revelation chapter 6, the white horse, the fiery red horse, the the horse that looks like Lucifer that I mentioned, that right, it's really a cerulean blue horse with black and gray hues and fiery red hues. That's the meaning of the Greek text here that's translated black. It's a poor, poor translation. But that horse, and then the pale green gray one, you know, the four seal, they all literally exist today. And I identify them in my books, including in the North Korea Rand in the Coming World War book, the Antichrist and the Capitia book coming on the Four Horsemen that's not yet available. But I talk about two of them in that uh, presentation on my YouTube channel. Okay. And then when we talk about your question and the United States, if we go to Revelation chapter 12, talks about two wings of a great eagle, right? Okay. Right here? I see it. So when we look at this imagery, there's a woman, okay? And when we go back to information about the woman, it says... A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, so she shines like the sun, right? The moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars, or around her head. The Greek can be translated around, okay? And when it says garland, it's like a Stephanus, like a victor's crown in a sense, okay? So if you think of from above, think of this imagery from above. You've got a woman, her head shines like the sun. She's above, right? And around yep. her head are 12 more stars, okay, like a garland. Are you following me? I'm with you. Okay. In context, this woman is multiple things. First of all, believing Israel at the center of the church. So it's believing Israel, and then it's the church, the believing church, okay? It also represents Mary, Miriam, Christ's mother. And from this woman is a child that's born. Her child is caught up to God in his throne. That's Yeshua, Christ himself. He's the one who will rule the nations with a rod of iron, all the nations after his return, right? So the woman represents multiple things at once. Mary, who believed. She was believing, right? So she was part of the church, part of Israel, who believes as a forerunner to the church, right? Symbolizing the church. Believing Israel. So the 144,000 sealed Israelites are part of the church. The Gentile church, the rest of the church, all part of this woman wrapped up as a corporate seed of the Messiah. We talked about the seed of the Messiah who would crush the serpent's head, right? Earlier mm-hmm. in Genesis 3.15. This woman co- represents the collective seed of God in Messiah, okay? 
the Lord's bride. So that being said, there's a garland of 12 stars around her head. What do those 12 stars represent? They represent the 12 tribes of Israel. They also represent the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Okay? Ultimately. But if you pull up the seal of the United States and look at what is above the head of the eagle between its two wings, Mm -hmm. you will see 13 stars. The 13th star is in the center, and the other 12 stars are between, you know, with that 13th star, between the two wings of the eagle above the eagle's head. So when we come back to this imagery right here, it says, to the woman was given two wings of a great eagle, right? That she might fly into the wilderness into her place. Okay. So the woman has the garland of 12 stars around her head. On the dollar bill, those 12 stars are symbolized around the woman who is the 13th star in the center, and they're laid out as a Davidic star, a star of David on the dollar bill. Have you noticed that? Yeah. Yeah, I've looked at so it many times. there's a star of David. Yep, there's a star of David between the two wings of the great eagle above its head in the form of 12 stars, and in the center of those 12 stars, in the center of that star of David, is the 13th star representing the woman. So in other words, what I'm saying is that seal of the United States, and that's what that eagle represents, Mm -hmm. in addition to representing modern Babylonia, spiritually. If you go to Ezekiel chapter 17 in the Old Testament, one of the symbols for ancient Babylonia was an eagle that had a cropped off a vine as well as arrows. Or maybe just, I think it had both. Don't, Don't quote me on that. Go look it up. Ezekiel chapter 17. But the eagle, that's the symbol of the United States, has a cropped off vine as well as arrows. And then, of course, that symbolism above its head between the wings. So all that is a long-winded way of saying is that the United States is this eagle under the Lord. So biblically, the Lord himself is the eagle given to believing Israel to fly Israel to her place in the wilderness, right? We see that in the Old Testament, the Lord is described as an eagle who will bear Israel on his wings, right? Right. And it says Israel will mount up on two wings of a great eagle in the Old Testament in a few places. And we're talking about faithful or believing Israel. And that's what the woman represents, among other things, here in Revelation chapter 12, is believing Israel. And, of course, the church is grafted into Israel spiritually, becomes part of Israel, right? Right. The church is grafted into the tree that is Israel. So there is literal, historical, carnal, genetic Israel. That's Israel in the land. And part of that is, you know, becomes believing and becomes the church, you know, the, the root of the church. And then the Gentiles who become Christians join to that as spiritual Israel, okay? So what this is symbolizing is believing Israel in the United States and the church in the United States giving of itself to help believing Israel in the land of Israel flee to her place in the wilderness where she's nourished for a time, times, and a half a time. And when I'm saying believing Israel, we find the same thing, for example, in Luke chapter 21 and the other Olivet Discourses where the Lord tells his disciples to flee. When they see in Luke 21, Jerusalem surrounded by the armies of the nations, right? Yeah, right. And in the other Olivet Discourses, meaning in Matthew and Mark, 
It's when we see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it should not, meaning on the Temple Mount. So we have these things happen simultaneously. Israel's attacked successfully. Half of Jerusalem is taken captive in war. We find that in Zechariah 12 to 14 and Revelation chapter 11. And then the nations of the world, their militaries are encircling Jerusalem and the abomination that causes desolation is placed on the Temple Mount at the same time that half of Jerusalem is taken captive in war. Those things happen together at the start of the Great Tribulation, the same point at which Charles is mortally wounded and recovers, you know, being possessed by the devil and his name becomes death. You know, as the fourth horseman, those things all go together. So that being said, the Lord tells them to flee to the mountains in Luke 21. And we're talking to his disciples, to believers. So this does, in fact, represent the church. So those pre-tribulationists out there saying, well, that's his disciples. It's not the church. They are lying. I'll call them liars. That's what they are. They are liars. This is talking about believers in the last days. Believers are always part of the church. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. The 144,000 sealed Israelites are not witnesses to the nations. That is not their primary mission, though they may witness to Gentiles and win non-Israelites to the Lord. Their actual mission is to unbelieving Israel, to win Israel to the Lord. And if you talk to Messianic Jews or Hebrew Christians or Messianic Israelites, whatever you want to call them today, of which I am one, they will with one voice tell you that their mission, their call in the Lord is to win Israel to the Lord. Mm. All uh, of them. So, so, Tim, tell you that. so Tim, have you fleed to the mountains yourself? It's not time. Okay. And with, this isn't a commandment to us in the United States. Okay. This is a commandment to those who are in Judea explicitly, who okay. see Jerusalem, which is in Judea, to flee to the mountains in the wilderness. So if we look at this, Judea, right here. So it's to those who are in Judea. So it's only to believers, in other words, to our, who are in the land of Israel, in Judea, to flee. And it's the same okay. thing in Matthew and Mark. Okay. And, and one reason that's significant is the justification for the commandment to flee here in Luke is because there will be great wrath on this people. Mm -hmm. So but this is man's wrath. Well, see, the, the, reason I, well, the, the reason I asked that question, I thought you said that, that believing Christians are grafted in, and therefore wouldn't they come under that umbrella? Any of them who are in Israel okay. are not to be in Judea. They need to be geogra geographically okay. outside Judea. Okay. The only two believers who are permitted, permitted biblically to be in Judea when this happens, hmm. to remain in Judea are the two witnesses, only them. No other Christian is to be in Judea during this time. And the reason for that is there will be great wrath upon this people. So the first means, in other words, Daniel, by which Christians, the church, escape God's wrath during the Great Tribulation, and this is, at the start of the Great Tribulation right here, the initial way by which they escape God's wrath is not by rapture or being removed from the earth. It's by getting out of Judea, by obeying God and getting out of Dodge, if you will. This case, In this case, Dodge is Jerusalem and Judea. So if they disobey, if they don't believe God, if they're not being led by the Holy Spirit, they will experience wrath and it will be because they're fake Christians. They're counterfeit Christians, not real ones. So that being said, uh, I say all of that to point out that back here with this eagle in Revelation 12, this fleeing that we read about in Revelation 12, you know, uh, you know, with the help of this eagle, is the same event 
you know, where the Lord is telling believers, his disciples, to get out of Judea and out of Jerusalem. Basically, at the start of the Great Tribulation, it's the same event. So, who is befriending Israel in the world today? Where is Israel's major ally, the number one ally in the world today? Who would you say that is, Daniel? Uh, U.S.? Yes, and not everyone in the United States. There are a lot of people who hate Israel today in the United States, right? Right. And more and more, in fact, in our Congress and Senate who hate Israel today in the United States. But despite that wickedness you know, in our midst in the United States, the United States, this country remains Israel's number one ally mm-hmm. and is still enough under the control of Christians here, Jew and Gentile alike, who are believers, to still be Israel's number one ally. Mm-hmm. So, and you, if Israel is attacked, we will be the ones helping Israel flee. Okay, so Christians in America don't need to flee during this time. Okay, that's a different question. <laughs> they don't need to flee in this passage like we're reading here, right? Right, okay. okay? okay. All right. But there's going to be persecution all over the world. Okay. And God will tell Christians where there is persecution, you know, individually and collectively, where to flee. You know, right now in this time, this day and age that you and I are in, particularly if we've already entered the tribulation week, but from a perspective of just simply being wise, even if we haven't, it's time to be preparing now for these things. Why? Let me point out, for the first time in history, the Antichrist is alive. He's walking among us today. He's in the world today, and I've proven that in this interview. Mm -hmm. No ifs, ands, or buts. It's not my opinion. It's not biblical speculation. Anybody who's watched this and walks away is saying, well, that's just your opinion, Tim, or maybe it's Obama, maybe the Pope. Well, I have news for you. You're a liar, and you're failing to believe God and his written word, and at best, you're deceiving yourself. At worst, you're an anti-Christian. You're a fake Christian yourself. If you walk away from this thinking that, and you and, 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 I underline that, and you've actually watched this whole interview and paid attention to everything that I've shown, okay? If you're just jumping in the middle and you think, oh, that's your opinion, Tim, okay, go back and watch in the beginning because you won't think that by the time you're done if you're actually a Christian and you believe God and his word. So that being said, and I'm not mincing words here with you folks and be very strong about this. Mind what I'm saying. God will hold you account to it in the future. He'll hold you to account over it. So that being said, Christians like Joseph, you know, in Egypt for seven years, he was laying up food because he knew there were seven years of famine coming. Right? Right. Those who obeyed Joseph, who were faithful under Joseph, who was a type of the Messiah at the time, were preparing that whole time for seven years in advance, even before the famine came. And then as the famine set in, it became impossible to store up grain and get what they needed, right? So they sold themselves into slavery, right? They became Joseph's and Pharaoh's slaves. They did. In order to get what they needed just to live. So, um, something similar is coming. You'll either store up now and prepare for yourselves and your loved ones and, you know, your families, your neighbors, your churches. Do everything you're capable of doing individually and collectively. And there are Christians out there who have plenty of resources, who can do far more than they need for themselves, and others who are scraping by just to live, right? right. Who may have skills they can contribute or other things they can do. But as the collective body of Messiah, we each have our calls, we each have our abilities. And I bring that up to say, pray to God. Ask him to show you what you personally 
can do with the resources and the skills he's given you personally. And whatever he tells you to do, do that. And collectively, as the church does that, we will all have what we need. Those of us who are faithful to God to live completely outside of the economic system that's coming. And when there is persecution, you know, maybe we'll be able to flee. We're not in Judea, so there's no guarantee of fleeing to a place where God's provided for us. Mm. You know, we'll either be provided for because we've been obedient, you know, like Joseph and those obeyed him and obeyed right. him in ancient Egypt. Right. Or or Maybe we'll be martyrs because we didn't have faith to do what we were supposed to do beforehand and we weren't paying attention. We were hypocrites, pretenders to the faith and didn't get serious until our butts were getting singed, you know, mm-hmm. hypothetically, you know, metaphorically by the things happening around us till things are getting a little hot, you know, too hot for comfort and we wanted to jump out of that boiling water and we realize we're about to get cooked, you know, as in the final sense, right? You know, there'll be some who repent at the end, probably a lot who repent at the end, who aren't prepared. And how is God going to test them? A lot of them are going to be martyred for the faith. That's just a fact. They may die by attrition or starvation or just outright being murdered for the faith and have to be proven that they're real believers to the end. So listen carefully, folks. There's not going to be a preacher of rapture. Anyone who says there is is a liar. You know, If they're telling you that they factually know it, that God showed them, if they're telling you anyone who says otherwise can't preach from their pulpit or share otherwise with you because it's wrong. If they're saying they're the ones who are right, whether they're pre- or mid-tribulationists, for example, and that the post-tribulationists who are saying that the rapture is going to be post-tribulational are wrong, if that's what they're doing and they're saying, thus saith the Lord on it, or Mm -hmm. censoring people who disagree with them over it, they are basically saying that that's a fact from their perspective and in Mm -hmm. that case they are liars. Before God they are false teachers and false prophets and they're going to hell unless they repent. They will be judged as those who have added to or taken away from God's written word, if not literally, then in the minds of their hearers, per the end of Revelation chapter 20, 20 or 21 or 2022. Let me me actually just look up the verse, and I'll share it with you. So I'll share my screen one more time. And let's read exactly the warning that the Lord gives in uh, Revelation... uh, at the end here, because it's as serious as Scripture gets. All right. Right down here, um, let's see, uh, and maybe it's the end of Revelation 22, like I said at the beginning here. Let's see here. Yeah. So Revelation 22, verses 18 to 19, where I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. And by the way, before I continue... This is the only book in the Bible that promises a blessing, you know, to him who hears it mm-hmm. in Revelation chapter 1. You know, it says, uh, blessed is he who reads, the, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep, you must keep, you must observe, you must believe those things which are written in it for the time is near, Right. Right. The time is near now. This is it. If you read it and you believe it, you keep it, you observe it, then you're blessed. So then when we get back to the warning here at the end of Revelation 22, for I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to the things, to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. That doesn't sound very pleasant, does it? No, really. The plagues. And by the way, the bowls of wrath 
in Revelation chapter 15 are explicitly called the seven last plagues. In other words, God's wrath, his fury, is part of those plagues. You know, it's not appointed to the believer to experience God's wrath, is it? So if the plagues written in this book are added to somebody, they are de facto not a believer. If they say they're a Christian, they're a fake. Okay, so right. Okay, so where where do you come down? Do you believe in a tribulation? And is it post? Which where? How do you where do you come in on that? I'll show you that it actually tells us when the rapture is. Okay. I won't just tell you. I'll show you where it is okay. in Revelation. Go for okay? it. Sure. But let's finish verse nineteen first. And if anyone takes away from the words of the prophecy of this book, God shall take away his part from the book of life, All right. from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. In either case, whether it's verse 18 or verse 19 that pertains to you, you're going to hell. Wow. Guaranteed. Bye-bye. Okay. So with that clarified, mm -hmm. you know, even pre-tribulation, say the Lord's coming back as a thief in the night, right? All right. And they take that to mean that when he does come for the church, the world will recognize that he's come by the absence suddenly of Christians on the planet. Mm -hmm. Right? Right. They think that's what that means, you know, and that there won't be any signs beforehand. Well, all of that is one lie after another. We've just talked about a bunch of signs that precede the Lord's return, right? Such as the image of that first beast. It exists. Such as the name calculation. It exists. Such as Jerusalem being surrounded by the militaries of the nations that's coming. Such as half, such as half of Jerusalem being taken captive in war that's coming such as the mortal wound of the Antichrist that's coming, such as his possession by the devil that's coming, all those things will be seen when they happen. Such as the mark of the beast when it's implemented, it's coming, it'll be seen, right? Such as the abomination that causes desolation, the idol already exists, you can see it today, it's here, and then it's going to be erected on the Temple Mount that's coming. There are lots of signs. It's not true that there won't be signs preceding his coming, that is a lie. Now, getting back to his coming as the thief in the night, did you know, Daniel, that in the book of Revelation, it explicitly says when he's coming as the thief in the night? You probably haven't heard that before unless you've heard my teachings. You've never heard that before. There's not a Christian on the planet who's ever taught on that before me. Not even the apostles, though they knew it because they wrote about it. Okay? They taught it, but not in so many words as me. So... Revelation chapter 16. I just pointed out that the bowls of wrath are the uh, last plagues in Revelation 15, right? Let me, let me reiterate that one more time. Mm -hmm. The bowls of wrath, the seven last plagues, that's what they're called here in Revelation chapter 15. This is the chapter under which the bowls of wrath begin to be outpoured in sequence. The 15th chapter of Revelation. Now, if we go back to the trumpets Okay, the seven trumpets. If you go back to Revelation chapter 9, which is after the trumpets are sounding. Oh, pardon me. L-A-G-U-E. There we go. So the seven trumpets in Revelation chapter 9, verse 20, are called plagues, quote-unquote. Do you see that? I do. Right here? Yes, okay. right there. So the trumpets are plagues, Right? And the seven trumpets begin to sound right after the seventh trumpet is opened. 
So in Revelation chapter 7, or excuse me, after the seventh seal, I meant to say, is opened. So in Revelation chapter 7, the seventh seal is opened. And then the seven trumpets begin to sound in sequence in Revelation 7. When you get to Revelation 9, verse 20, we learn that the trumpets are all plagues. They're, expl they're explicitly called plagues in Revelation 9, 20. And then in Revelation 15, we're told that the bowls of wrath are the last plagues. So by definition, the bowls of wrath come after the seventh trumpet begins to sound. Because the trumpets are plagues, but the bowls of wrath are the final or last plagues. Does that make sense? It does. So the sequence are the seven trumpets sound under the seventh seal. After the seventh trumpet starts to sound, the seven bowls of wrath begin to be outpoured. With that being clarified for the audience, now let's go to Revelation 16. I told you that this book tells us when Christ is coming as a thief in the night, right? It does. So let me ask you this. How big is the kingdom of the beast when he is ruling the world through, throughout the Great Tribulation? You know, when that global government, government or global governance exists. Worldwide? Worldwide, right? Right. Because Revelation 13 tells us every tribe, tongue, and nation mm -hmm. will worship him, right? Will follow after him. It doesn't mean every person, but it means people from all over the world will be worshiping him and following after him, right? Okay. So if that's true and his kingdom is global, then notice what happens here under the fifth bowl of wrath. And we've established that the bowls of wrath are after the seventh trumpet, which, by the way, is the last trumpet in the Bible. It is the last trumpet in all of Scripture. The last thing that is stated to be a trumpet in the whole Bible is that seventh trumpet. It's the actual last trumpet of which Paul spoke in 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians 4. Now, I can easily prove that, and I do, by the way, in my teaching titled The Real Rapture. So people who want to know more about all this and want it laid out in a lot more detail can get my teaching titled The Real Rapture right here on CD or DVD from Prophecy House today. Then go get that today. And that teaching, which is about three and a half hours long, is based on a volume coming in my Messiah History in the Tribulation Period series. It's the fourth, or excuse me, the uh, fifth volume titled The Real Rapture and Other Prophetic Mysteries Understanding the Revelation or the Apocalypse. Okay? So that being said, those things are coming. Well, but getting back to... Uh, where we were, pardon me, scripture, under the fifth bowl of wrath, the kingdom of the beast becomes full of darkness. Now, you admitted to me that that kingdom is global, right? Right, I did. So that means the world is in physical darkness. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Isn't that equivalent to nighttime or night? It is. If the world is in darkness, okay. That's the fifth bowl. When we get to the sixth bowl of wrath, that's when the nations begin to gather for the battle of Armageddon, right? Up through here. And we get to verse 16. They're gathering for the battle of Armageddon. Harmegiddo, it's a geographic place, Mount Megiddo, which overlooks the Valley of Jezreel in northern Israel. It's just south of the Lebanese border and near Nazareth. But it overlooks a huge agricultural valley in Israel known as the Valley of Jezreel in the Old Testament. And Armageddon is a transliteration of the Hebrew word or Hebrew words, Har for Mount, or Mountain, and Megiddo, Mount Megiddo. It's a geographic location. So, the nations are gathering for Armageddon. The world is in darkness between the fifth and sixth bowls of wrath, right? 
And then all of a sudden, the Lord says something here in verse 15. Just before the nations are gathering for Armageddon, he says, Behold, I am coming as a thief. He hasn't yet come as a thief. He has not yet come as a thief. He's about to do so. Blessed he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked, and they see his shame. That's Revelation chapter 16, verse 15, under the sixth bowl of wrath. So with the 15th bowl, or excuse me, the fifth bowl, the world is cast into darkness. And with the uh, sixth bowl in verse 15, Christ says he's coming as a thief. In other words, as a thief in the night. Mm -hmm. And the saints already have their garments. He doesn't say they're about to get their garments here. They already have them. What does that mean? It means the resurrection and translation of God's church, the tribulation saints, has already happened. But the rapture, meaning his coming to collect the saints who've been raptured or translated, excuse me, who've been resurrected or translated, resurrected if they've died, translated, meaning their bodies transformed, transfigured if they've survived. So either way, they get their eternal bodies, right? The saints already have their eternal bodies, and with those bodies comes the robes. They already have them at this point when Christ says he's about to come as a thief. So here's how that works. When that seventh trumpet starts to sound in Revelation chapter 10, the very instant that it begins to sound, no matter how long it sounds for, the instant that it begins to sound, the tribulation saints who are either living because they've survived, they're still mortal, or who've died, get translated or resurrected. In other words, they receive their eternal bodies at the moment, at the very instant that trumpet starts to sound, right before the bowls of wrath are outpoured. And the bowls of wrath are global. So even though the saints are still here on the earth, they're not touched by God's wrath because they have supernatural bodies protected by God himself at that wow. point. So during the Great Tribulation, the church is protected by obedience, by not being in Judea during the Great Tribulation, with the sole exception of the two witnesses who are authorized to be there as witnesses to Israel and the world. And then, and that's where they'll die, in the street outside of Jerusalem when they're killed, the two witnesses. And then, uh, later on, when the wrath becomes global, immediately before the global wrath ensues, the saints receive their eternal bodies at the last trumpet, the start of the sounding of the seventh trumpet right before the bowls of wrath are outpoured. And then the rapture is after that. And the rapture is actually in stages. The resurrection or translation is not. That's at the same time for all the tribulation saints. But the rapture happens in at least three stages. First, the two witnesses. In the same hour that that trumpet starts to sound. You find that in Revelation chapter 11, verses 10 to 15. And after them, the 144,000 sealed Israelites who will, appear, who will appear, you know, manifest on Mount Zion with Yeshua as the Lamb of God. They'll be there with him on Mount Zion to sing the song of the Lamb, the song of Moses, and a new song which only they can learn. You find that in Revelation chapter 14. So at the beginning of Revelation 14. So by implication, they've been gathered or raptured to the Lord at that point, Right. Right. And after all of them, after the two witnesses, after the 144,000, just as the nations are about to be gathered for the battle of Armageddon, Armageddon, pardon me, or maybe even while they're being gathered for Armageddon, right? 
But after the sixth bowl of wrath is outpoured, then at the end of Revelation chapter 14, there are two harvests. The first harvest is the general rapture of the rest of the church. And the second harvest is the wine press of the Lord's wrath, Armageddon itself. So the first harvest at the end of Revelation 14 is the general rapture of the rest of the church. That is the Lord coming as a thief in the night for the rest of the church. That's how it actually works. It's all post-tribulational in terms of the rapture, which is in at least three stages. Wow. In the natural sequence, one would expect. The two witnesses will be at the Lord's left and at his right in his kingdom. The two witnesses who have the greatest position of prominence among all the church in God's kingdom. After them, the 144,000 sealed Israelites, represented by the 12 stars, meaning the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 apostles of the Lamb, right? And then the rest of the church grafted into Israel, spiritually part of Israel, okay? Spiritual Israel, as we would read, for example, about in Romans chapter 11. So I'll open it up to any other questions, but, but that's how it actually works. Okay, well, let's open it up to this question. What is the mark of the beast? Okay, so the mark of the beast is not Sabbath, or excuse me, Sunday worship, like, for example, Seventh-day Adventists might claim. Mm -hmm. And it's not even a biochip implant in terms of what people typically think of as a biochip, for right. example. And I have a whole book coming on this topic, so I can, I can briefly cover it, but there's, all, there's a lot of material to this. But briefly... The word translated as mark in the Greek text of Revelation 13 actually has some specific meanings, and it actually has a picture to it in the Greek text. It's a form of tattoo, and that tattoo looks like a picket fence, literally. That's what the Greek text means, is a line-based line mark that has a picket-like appearance and is a form of a tattoo. And it'll go on the right hand of the forehead. Now, UPC and EAN barcodes, which are the forerunner to all the barcodes today, mm -hmm. including the QR codes, right? In every UPC and EAN barcode on the planet, which we all have been using now for decades to buy or sell, right? Yeah, sure. It's on the goods, you know, bought and sold throughout the West and throughout much of the rest of the world. And they scan it right at the store when you when you go to buy something, correct? So all of the UPC and AN barcodes in the world have three sixes in them. It's called the security bar pattern or the guard bar pattern. On either end of those UPC and AN barcodes and in the middle, there are two thin bars that descend halfway below the digits that they are showing you. Mm -hmm. And if you look in the right half of any UPC or EAN barcode and you find a digit six in any of those, and you look above the digit six, you're going to see two thin lines. And that's only in the right half of the code, not the left half. And that's because the right half is one parity, the other half is a different parity. It's even parity or odd parity between the two halves of the, the code for scanning purposes. It's a computer lingo. If you find a six shown in the right half of the code, you'll see it's the same pattern that's on either end and in the middle of every UPC and EAN barcode in the world. And that's because the numbers they're not showing you in all of those barcodes are sixes. It's six, six, six on either end and in the middle on all of them. So people have been buying and selling with six, six, six this whole time. 
Hmm. What they haven't done yet is tattoo it on your body or required that you have that tattoo on your body, somehow tying into your banking or your finances, whatever you want to call it, your means for buying or selling, your your means for purchasing things or selling things. They're not requiring you that to have that physically in your body yet to buy or sell in most cases. Mm-hmm. Now, there are biochip implants that have 666 in them and what's called a partition pattern. I document that in the book on the mark of the beast. We don't know which of the chips have that unless you could take them apart and examine them, which would be you know, enormously time-consuming to try to do. Unless you have the technical documentation identifying what's in that chip, you're not going to know, literally. Some chips have something called chip heraldry in them, where they literally engrave symbols on the integrated circuits, including coats of arms. How many people have heard about that before? They call it chip heraldry. So they could, for example, take that coat of arms that's behind you there. Charles' heraldic achievement is Prince of Wales, which is the first beast of Revelation 13 that has a little horn in the eyes of a man. They could put that on a chip and stick it in your body, and you'd never know that you had the mark, the image of the beast in your hand or in your forehead. You wouldn't know. But it's right there inside your hand or forehead. Mm-hmm. The actual imagery of the first beast. They could put a barcode you know, that has 666 in it inside the chip or, or engrave it on the chip. And by the way, I bring that up too because integrated circuit chips are, produ- are produced through lithography. They're literally produced through a masking pattern that's very much uh, like film, like a pattern of lines on film, okay? That's gotten more and more refined over time to make these highly, you know, s- these highly um, minute, these very, very tiny, you know, features on chips to produce the circuits, right? But it's all line-based. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so if, if somebody takes a, the, uh, uh, say they have the RFID chip with that 666, or if they take a tattoo, does that send them to hell? Yes, it does. Guaranteed. And then, then, with, then, one, with one possible exception. So the Lord said, right, if your eye offends, pluck it out, cast mm-hmm. it from you. Mm. For it's better, you know, that one member of your body should perish or a member of your body should perish than that your whole body mm. be cast alive into hell where God is able to destroy both soul and body. Right. Right. Okay. If your arm offends or your hand offends, right, and your arm includes your hand, cut it off and cast it far from you. Same justification for it's better that a member of your body should perish than that your whole body mm-hmm. should be cast alive into hell, Right. So let me issue a warning right here. Since you asked that question, I answered it. Lots of Christians think that you can't excise the mark from your body and you know go to heaven instead of hell. Once you've taken it, that's it. You know, in the minds of most Christians, right? Right. And as a rule, that is true. But there may be some exceptions, or somebody you know out of ignorance, you know, mm-hmm. you know, or just right afterwards realize, you know, I'm an idiot, this is wrong, and fall upon their face before God and say, I'm willing to die, Lord. Look, I'm going to chop it right out of my body here. Please have mercy on me. Right? And maybe they will die right afterwards from the wound that ensues. Okay? Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. If at that point they're genuine and they mean it, and they're willing to die for God, maybe, maybe, he will have mercy and grace on them and save them. That's his choice. It is not guaranteed biblically. I want to emphasize that. You're playing a game with God. 
thinking that you can do something like that, if you're imagining you can do it beforehand. This will Mm. only be for people who somehow didn't know better and, you know, basically right away realize how much they screwed up. Well, I mean, what if, what if they arrested you? Pressure what, or whatever. what if they arrested you and forced you to have it too? Well, as a rule, people aren't going to be forced. Why would they force you when they can simply starve you to death mm. and keep you out of their buildings? Remember what they were doing during COVID when yeah. you didn't have the vaccine passport? Mm-hmm, exactly. They were preventing people in many places in the world. A lot of people don't know this. They were literally preventing them from buying anything in stores like Costco except for groceries. In other cases, they wouldn't let them go to the store at all. They'd get what they wanted and bring it out to them. In other establishments, they couldn't go into a restaurant and eat there at all or order anything. That's true. You know, depending on how radical the area got, you know, how sold out to the devil they really were. Okay. Imagine that sort of a system with, let's say, climate lockdowns, like we talked about being implemented globally. And by the way, now it's not a vaccine passport. It's just what you have to have, your ID, to present it on your body to buy or sell. Hmm. Tied into your bank account with a number that's encoded in this pattern or in a chip or both. And by the way, they can tattoo your body with ink that's permanent but not visible to the naked eye. That all the scanners that are out there that can read barcodes today Mm -hmm. can still read. And then the only thing they need to do is put the wiring in the electronics in to tie that scan to your bank account and just debit your account. They don't need plastic or anything else. Hmm. Well, so t- we're, we're a hip scop and a jump away from the actual mark of the beast being implemented. And here here's the final point I'll make on that, uh, You know, unless you have more questions or want to ask more questions. The final point is this. Just like there are people today, Daniel, saying Charles can't be the Antichrist because we're all here. We won't know who he is, you know, until the Great Tribulation comes and the church isn't going to be here. And I've been very clear in this program that people who say like that are either liars themselves and false teachers or they're deluded and deceived by, by the devil. Okay, it's one or the other or both. There's no no in between. Mm-hmm. So that's that's just all there is to it, folks. It's black and white. Don't argue with me because if you do, you're wrong. <laughs> you're just okay. flat out wrong. Okay. <laughs> Get down on your butt. Get down on your face before God and mm-hmm. repent for being wrong mm. and embracing lies. Recognize where you are and get off your lazy rear end and start preparing for what's coming because this is it. And let me make one other thing. I'll say one other thing. If you're out there saying Charles can't be the Antichrist, the next thing you'll be doing is saying, this can't be the mark of the beast because we're still here. Guess not yet. <laughs> Guess not yet. To everybody who's saying to you, yes, that's it. Don't take it or you're going to hell. Okay? And I'm warning you right now what it's going to be like. Okay, I've told you a lot. More than enough for you to know what the mark of the beast is when the time comes. Now, there is a lot more in the book, you know, including tying it in historically to Druidry and a bunch of other interesting things. But here's where I'm going with that. Uh, Don't be caught as a hypocrite, a fake Christian so-called before God, by saying Charles isn't the Antichrist or this can't be the mark of the beast when the time comes. So consider this for a moment. If you think Charles isn't the Antichrist after everything that's been shown in this program, let alone in my other interviews, like when I showed him leading the world and worshiping a giant bull idol, Molech idol worship, right? And in a New Age invocation inviting you to join the devil 
Lucifer, his kingdom at that event. Okay? Watch the other interviews on my channel where you can see that actually happening with your eyes. Is now, there, is now there, that being said... Go ahead. That being said, if you think Charles isn't it, name one other human being on the planet in all history who've had even a small amount of the evidence I've shown just in this one interview for Charles, who's alive today. Point to one other human being on the planet today, and you can't point to his children because they don't have it, as I've shown. William and Harry don't have it. Who has this imagery? And if you can't point to somebody, ask yourself this. Do you think that we're nearing the Lord's return? Is this the time frame in history when he's coming back? And if, based on everything else your eyes have shown you in the last several years, you conclude and can honestly say to yourself, yes, the Lord's return has to be near. All this stuff is about to be fulfilled, whether we're in it or not yet. Then you have only one choice to make, and that is Charles is the Antichrist. Hmm. Because whoever it is, is alive today and walking around. Okay, so this is really the last question. Is there any way that we can prepare for what's coming? How do we prepare? Uh, ask, yeah, ask God, and whatever he tells you personally to do, do that. Okay, pretty simple. So for if yourself, we ask him, he will tell us. And others. So, so if we ask, he will actually tell us. If you're listening, he will. If you're faithful, you got to be a real Christian, in other words. And that doesn't mean a perfect one. Mm-hmm. That means a genuine Christian filled by the Holy Spirit asking a genuine question of God and being patient and listening for the answer, but also taking inventory of your life, meaning everything he's set in your hands, everything you expect him to set in your hands, and every skill he's given you personally in your life. Take a complete inventory of who and what you are and what you have. Can I take inventory? Yep. And then go before God with that and say, okay, Lord, how are you going to use me? How can you use me? How do you want to use me Mm. to prepare for what's coming? Because everybody, no matter how poor or how rich they are, has some capacity. And I'll throw this out for those who've listened to this, because a lot of people have never heard any of this before, Daniel. I don't make anything from this. Hmm. I live below the poverty line, and I have for many years. I have put hundreds of thousands of dollars of my own money into this effort. I have devoted my entire adult life almost to this effort since my early 20s, since I was a cadet at the Air Force Academy. I don't have enough, personally, to make this information, let alone the rest of what God has you know, shown me. And I've got about 40 books that will be out in two to three years to make this information known to the whole world. And I need to get this information into the hands of pastors and church leaders throughout the entire world in the near future. Anybody who has the resources, and there are many Christians who do, get in touch with me, get in touch with Prophecy House, provide some portion of those. And we will take every penny of what you provide to make this information available to Christians throughout the world at no charge as much as possible to get it into the hands of church leaders throughout the world so that the whole world can be warned about Charles before it's too late and about a lot of other things that I have coming including what the fake aliens agenda is about because I'm the one person on the planet who has all the real hard evidence and real information on that in a series of books titled The Solar Apocalypse Hmm. series. And people can see that on my website. I'll show two other things, and then I'll I'll drop it there unless you've got any further questions. Um, no, so let well, me share my screen one last time. Well, you got you got you got you got something on aliens too. I do. Not just something. 
I have mind blowing stuff on it, the real stuff. So, got sounds like we've got to have you back, Tim. Yeah. So this interview, which is five hours long, right here, mm-hmm. with a non-Christian, is titled "Non-Terrestrial Life Proof: Pre-Flood Quantum Quantum Aliens Seated to Earth." And I'll go to it. I may have to mute it so it doesn't make a bunch of noise at the start here. Seated to Mars, the Moon, and other planets. In this, I show complex biological fossils, including dinosaurs, beyond reptiles and a pterosaur and other things, petrified wood, uh, lichen growing on it, on Mars, our moon, Earth's moon, and on the surface of a comet. I have tens of thousands of images, maybe even even 100,000 at this point, but I have tens of thousands, many good ones. This one is on Earth. I have things that rival this on the Mars, on Mars, excuse me, excuse me, on Mars, on the Moon, and in comets and asteroids, photographed by multiple space agencies, not just NASA. I have the official photos. And in a series titled Solar Apocalypse, if I go to my website right here, well, my prophecy has the website, my publisher's website, there's a series titled Solar Apocalypse. It's at least seven volumes that's coming out probably toward the end of next year. I've worked on this for over a decade now. But in this, I give proof along with the ability to independently verify it of what's really in our solar system and the fact that it actually originated on Earth between Noah's flood and the creation of Adam and Eve thousands of years ago, seeded to our solar system by the Nephilim, the human-angel hybrids, all over our solar system before it was damaged at the same time that Noah's flood happened here on Earth. So Noah's flood was not only about Earth. It was about judging what they were doing in our solar system and destroying it. Wow. But there are remnants. There's proof, a lot of proof, and remnants remaining on planetary bodies in our solar system, including, and I will mention this, I don't show any in this interview. I do show one, one in uh, this half-hour interview right here, which people can watch. I show a weapon on the surface of Mars, abandoned on Mars surface, photographed by NASA. In this half-hour interview, I show in the book and in other interviews that will be coming in the future as the books, not the book, but the multi-volume series is published, uh, quite a few artificial structures on the moon. Very obvious artificial structures, including a perfect pyramid uh, on Mars, pardon me. You know, so the equivalent of a, a tiled wall with mm-hmm. perfect squares, a perfect pyramid. I mean, absolutely perfect. Um, creatures that actually move between photographic stills that the rover took, showing that there's ongoing life on Mars. It's not all dead. Wow. Creatures in the act of consuming food. So this thing that you can't see right here right. is a fully exposed creature that's insectoid on Mars' surface and has an intelligent appearance. Probably bigger than you and I. Hmm. Fully exposed. Hmm. So there are some pretty staggering things that I show in this. And if people watch this and they recognize just one fossil on any of these planetary bodies, if they can look at just one of the things that I show, and I show, I show hundreds in this interview, mm-hmm. if just one resonates with them and say, yeah, that's an obvious fossil and it's not on Earth, that's all it takes to prove the thesis of this presentation. There's a vast amount more in the coming solar apocalypse series. So 
as a Christian, as a young earth creationist, I'm going to give to the church and to the world the real evidence on the origin of the fake aliens, what they are, what their real agendas are, what they're doing in their anti-gravity craft on earth, and proof of their existence, officially sourced, as well as eyewitness testimony mm. in that series. And it's a combination that no one else has ever come close to producing or ever will this side of God's kingdom and maybe ever, period, because I don't know why anybody would you know, spend much time on it after this series once it's out, other than going to these planetary bodies during the millennial kingdom and actually digging up the evidence. But I'll say one more thing. I show a fossil photographed by the Apollo astronauts on one of the missions mm -hmm. in that interview. I have many more in the series. But on that fossil, people can see the actual five claws of a paw facing the camera, the full leg, including the shoulder of a creature, its neck and its head from one side, fully exposed, wow. photographed on the ground mm. by Apollo astronauts. Mm. Every single Apollo astronaut encountered fossils on the lunar surface and sometimes handled them. And there was photographic and in some cases video footage of them doing so. And I personally am going to be sharing that in that solar apocalypse series. Oh. And people will be able to download okay. all these images directly from NASA, the European Space Agency, and JAXA, the Japanese Space Agency, uh, from, the, from what I give in that series to them. It'll be all independently verifiable. Well, well Tim, we'll have, we'll have to have you back. And uh, I appreciate you so much spending so good quality time. And the information was phenomenal tonight. We have a link to your website there in, in our uh, bio section for you. And I'll send you links after the edit and final upload as well. Yes, please share uh, prophecyhouse.com. Mm -hmm. You know, at the top of your preamble mm -hmm. below the video. So everybody yep. can go and find these materials. Yep. And if you, if you don't mind, um, share the YouTube channel too. Your, yours mm -hmm. will be linked there as well. Okay. So they can go see all the other presentations and interviews that are there, and there are quite a few. Yeah, well, of course, this is the best one ever, so I, you know, I definitely want to get that up there. Yeah. I, Thank I, you. Yep. All right. This is a great one. Uh, it it was right. a great one. I appreciate you, Tim, and uh, we'll, we'll have you back on, and I'll touch base with you later on that, okay? Thank you. God bless, Daniel. All Shalom. Right. All right. Bye-bye.